The Transmission, episode 63, May 17, 2009. You can't bring him in. Why not? Because only our leader can request an audience with Jacob. And there can only be one leader on the island at a time, John. I'm beginning to think you just make these rules up as you go along, Richard. Aloha from the Island Lost fans. You are tuned into the transmission. This is a podcast devoted to the show Lost on ABC. I'm Jen. And I'm Ryan. And we're here to discuss the season finale of season five, The Incident. And boy, it was a two-hour season finale, so there's a lot to talk about. So here's how we're going to break it down. We're going to cover the episode in as many minutes as we possibly yes, can. Yes, not eight, but some amount. Then we're going to share our thoughts and examine the episode in greater detail. We hear from you all, everybody, in our feedback segment. Well, Lots of great feedback. And finally, we're going to step into the forward cabin. But this week, there's no spoilers in the forward cabin. We're just going to be talking about what we're going to be doing and what's ahead for our show during the long, dark hiatus. In any case, let's get to the episode. You ready? Let's get lost. All right, deep breaths, episode 16 and 17 of season five, the two-hour season finale entitled The Incident. It's all over the place, but let's see how we can do this. Let's we go. We begin way, way back. Mm-hmm. A man in white, Jacob, is weaving with a loom in an underground chamber. He then goes up to the shore and starts fishing. He looks out to sea and spots a ship on the horizon. A man in black comes up to him behind him and says, you brought them to the island, didn't you? You're still trying to prove me wrong. He says people come, they fight, they destroy and corrupt, and it all always ends the same. Jacob says that it only ends once and anything else before that is progress. The man in black says he wants to kill Jacob and will someday find a loophole. He walks off and we see that they're standing in the shadow of the full statue. In several short flashbacks, we see young Kate and young Tom trying to steal a new kids on the block lunchbox and they get busted by the store owner. Jacob comes up, pays for it, and he tells Kate to be good. Young Sawyer is at his parents' double funeral and Jacob arrives to give him a pen so he can write his letter to Mr. Sawyer. But a relative comes and tells him to move on. What's done is done. John Locke hits the ground after being thrown out the window by Cooper. Jacob touches him and revives him. He says, don't worry, everything's going to be all right, and I'm sorry this happened to you. Saeed and Nadia are crossing a street when Jacob calls Saeed back and asks for help. Nadia is struck by a car, and with her dying breath in the road, she asks Saeed to take her home. Son and Jin are getting married. Jacob offers both of them his blessing and says that their love is special. He tells them never to take it for granted. Jack is operating when he makes the mistake stake and he splits the sack and his dad tells him he has to count to five. Later Jack is mad that his father embarrassed him. Jacob is there and he offers him an Apollo bar. Ilana is in a Russian hospital all bandaged up. Jacob arrives and apologizes for being away. Ilana says that she's happy to see him but Jacob says that he needs her help. Hurley is released from prison and Jacob is waiting for him in a cab and he asks why he won't go back to the island. Hurley says he's cursed and his friends died but Jacob tells him that he's not crazy. He's blessed and he tells Hurley that it's his choice that he can go back on a Jira flight 316 
and he leaves the guitar case with him. Finally, we also see a young Juliet and her sister Rachel finding out their parents are divorcing. Juliet is very upset and runs away. Now, jumping to the present, or at least 2007, they're all marching across the island, and Ben explains to Son that Locke is the leader, but the leader answers to Jacob. Albert tells Locke that he's never seen someone come back to life, but Locke says that he's never seen someone who doesn't age. Albert says it's because of Jacob that he's that way, and that Jacob's probably responsible for bringing him back. Locke says he knows and wants to thank him. Then they'll have to deal with the Ajira people. Later, Locke asks Ben why he didn't tell Albert about his plan, and Ben says he changed when his dead daughter told him to do everything that she said. Locke says, I'm not going to kill Jacob. You are. The Ajira people grow to the main island with Frank and the box. Bram asks why they're bringing Frank and whether he might be a candidate. Frank asks what's in the box, and they show him, but uh, not us, and he asks what they're going to do with it. They tell him that it's to show that they're up against something far scarier. They get to Jacob's cabin, but notice that the ash ring is broken. Ilana goes inside, but she doesn't find anything but a weaving pinned to the wall with a knife. She says someone else has been using the cabin, and they decide to burn it down. She shows the weaving to Bram, and he says at least they know where they're going next. Locke leads the others to the old beach camp, and Sun finds Aaron's crib and Charlie's ring inside. Locke goes to Ben and asks what happened when they went to see Jacob the first time. Ben says that he was pretending he didn't want Locke to know that he had never seen Jacob, but he was still surprised when things started flying around. Ben asks Locke why he wants him to kill Jacob. Locke tells Ben that despite his loyal service, he got cancer. He watched his daughter die in front of him and was banished from the island, all for a man that he had never even met. Locke says he doesn't understand why Ben wouldn't want to kill Jacob. They reach the foot of the statue, and Albert says it's where Jacob lives. After night falls, Locke says that he's going in and with Ben. Albert says that only one person and only the leader can see Jacob, but they go in anyway. Locke tells Ben that things will change once Jacob is gone. Outside, Ilana and friends arrive. She asks for Ricardus, and Alpert steps up. She asks what lies in the shadow of the statue. He answers her in Latin. She says that he has something that he needs to see. They tip open the box, and inside is John Locke. Mm. Son asks if this is Locke. Who's in there? Well, in there, Jacob is waiting, and he tells Locke, or rather, I guess, Dark Locke, that he found his loophole. Dark Locke says he did, but that Jacob has no idea what he went through to be there. Ben asks if they met before, and Dark Locke says, in a matter of speaking, he tells Ben to do what he asked him to do. Jacob tells Ben he has a choice. Ben says Jacob ignored him for 35 years, but now Locke got Marston to see Jacob like he's Moses. Ben asks, why him? What about me? Jacob steps up and says, what about you? Mm. Ben stabs him several times. Jacob gasps. They're coming. Darklock kicks him into the fire pit. Finally, in 1977, we're on the sub, and Kate says that Jack is going to blow up a bomb, and they have to stop him. Sawyer says that he's going to pass on that. If Jack wants to blow up the island, good for him, but Juliet decides they have to go back. They force the captain to surface the sub and row back to the island. Vincent runs up, and Rose and Bernard follow. They see Sawyer, Juliet, and Kate, and say... Oh, no, they found us. Rose and Bernard say they retired, but the Losties tell them Jack has a bomb and they could die. Rose and Bernard say they don't care. They just want to be together, and that's all that matters. 
Meanwhile, Saeed removes the core from Jughead, despite Alpert's concerns about Eloise's pregnancy. Alpert asks Jack about Locke, saying, you know, I've met him several times, he doesn't seem that special, but Jack says, don't give up on him. Alpert breaks through the wall into Othersville, but knocks Eloise out to take her back and sends Jack and Saeed on their own. Roger spots them and shoots Saeed. Jack shoots Roger and they get into a gunfight. Jin and Hurley rescue them in a Dharma van and head to the Swan. Jack says his plan can save Saeed and get Jin back to Sun. Saeed says that he can rig the bomb to blow up on impact. Suddenly they stop because Kate, Juliet, and Sawyer are standing in the middle of the road. Sawyer tells Jack that he could have tried to save his parents, but what's done is done. Jack says it's his destiny, but Sawyer says he doesn't speak destiny and that people do things because they want something. Jack finally admits that he's doing it because he lost Kate and wants a second chance. Sawyer says, well, I can't change your mind then, and punches him, and they start to get into a fist fight. Juliet stops them and says that Jack is right. Sawyer asks why she changed her mind, and she says it was the way Sawyer looked at Kate. She says, if I never have to meet you, I never have to lose you. Meanwhile, Jack asks Kate about Aaron and if he's why she came back. He says if she wants to save Claire, this is how. Radzinski arrives at the Swan to find that Dr. Chang stopped the drill because of the readings and because, you know, there's an insurrection going on. Radzinski says that he came to the island to change the world and restarts the drill. Phil calls and says that they were attacked by Jack and Saeed, and Radzinski says they'll be ready for them. Alarms go off. Kate says that she's with Jack Saeed says he rigged the bomb, but that nothing can save him. Jack heads down to the Swan, telling Sawyer, see you in Los Angeles. Miles asks everyone if they've considered whether Jack is causing the thing he's trying to prevent, meaning the incident. They see Phil. Juliet says, well, live together, die alone. Phil spots Jack, and there's another shootout. Hurley and friends drive up and join the fight. Jack takes Phil hostage and drops the bomb into the hole. But nothing happens. Instead, the drill continues and then starts to collapse and metal objects start flying. The tower falls on Dr. Chang's arm, injuring him. A pipe skewers Phil in the stomach. Radzinski's jeep flips, but he manages to escape. Juliet gets caught in some chains and is dragged into the hole by the magnetic force, and Sawyer can't save her. She falls into the hole, but Mm. down below, Juliet is not dead yet. She sees the bomb, she grabs a rock, and detonates Jughead. And And thud. thud. And actually fade to white or flash of eyeball or something there but in any case that was the season finale of lost the incident two hours in about nine minutes so i gotta say that's pretty pretty good good recap but obviously there was a lot that we sped through so we'll take a quick break we'll gather our thoughts and we'll talk about the episode in greater detail The incident. The event it's been building up to all of season five. And season five has been a fantastic season. It has. Season it's been loss. my favorite so far. Really great. So this was it. This was the capper, the end point, the last stop before the end of the series. How did you like the incident? I liked it eventually. Yes. Uh, I have to admit, your initial reaction was a rather negative one i was livid (laughs) frankly well let's go over the history of uh season finales here because i want to see how this one rates really season one the uh they finally blow open the hatch and they look down it but they don't tell us anything about what's in there and i guess walt is taken by the other season two they turn the fail safe uh the the, they're all kidnapped jack kate and sawyer are taken on the pier walt gets away and someone tells penny we found the island season three was we have to go back that was just a mind blower still probably 
number one on the For list. For me, at least. And yeah. uh, last season, the uh, freighter blows up, and Ben turns the frozen donkey wheel, and the entire island disappears. So, in that list, where does the incident fall? It's still fifth. <laughs> so, your least favorite season finale. But I rewatched it. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to come around on it. There's, <laughs> I still have issues with it, and it's still not going to be the same kind of thing I felt when I saw season three. Right, right. For the first I time. I agree. I mean, it wasn't that big of a game changer or what the heck is going on. It gave us a really big macro view look at what's going on on the island, and that I liked, but a lot of the other stuff, especially with all the shootouts and all of the characters doing strange things, that was more conventional and even a little disappointing. I can right. see that they were comparing it to the season one finale because we get this fade to white flash and they're not going to tell us anything about what happens next the same way I kind of really felt a little annoyed at the end of season one when they look in the hatch and there's no clue about what could happen next so in many ways maybe that's what they were kind of going for but anyway so let's break down the two different parts you had the great overarching mystery of what's going on and then you had the shenanigans on the island what did you think about the Jacob thing I loved that. That was my favorite part of the whole episode, just because I didn't anticipate ever seeing Jacob. I really had an idea of what Jacob was, and he didn't look like that. No, I know. I def- I, we, people weren't sure if, if he was an actual person, and if he did look like a person, I don't know. I think you're kind of looking for a mythical Moses-like figure. And I was instead- expecting somebody at least a lot older. Right. So, I mean, we got a call from uh, Alex in Cincinnati. He said, he kind of looked like a J. Crew catalog dude. <laughs> I, I really didn't see that. But, um, yes, Alex... Uh, Jacob is a real person, but not only that, clearly there is a bigger battle, there's a bigger conflict going on between him and the guy in black. And right. we don't know what we're going to be calling him in in all of the credits. He was man number two. People are calling him the anti-Jacob. I kind of like that because that's AJ. And that some works. people are calling him Esau. Esau for uh, various theories about uh, Egyptian stuff. And there's Flock, fake Lock, or not Lock, or Doc Lock, <laughs> Dark Lock. So we could be all over the place. But in any case, that I kind of like. That, that opening scene really was what's going to be what's fueling the conversation, I think, for this entire hiatus. Not Absolutely. what's going on on the island, but what's going on between them. So they said that there's kind of this cycle, this battle that's kind of going on. People come on the island and they get into conflicts and they kill each other and they destroy things and the, and it, the cycle keeps going on yeah, and, and so on you and can on. see that's actually kind of what we've been watching on the show with each arrival. Black Rock was what was, I think, hinted with the ship. Right. And then you move to the arrival of the others, I presume, and then the Dharma Initiative and then the Oceanic 815 and then the, I mean, even in, within the show, the tail section people the freighter people and who knows how many there have been in between all of those yeah just various arrivals but they're just pawns in this big giant chess game between these larger forces these larger people on the island so and I, the, clearly the big twist is that not only is there this uh, anti-Jacob, I think we'll go with AJ for now okay this anti-Jacob but that he possesses the forms of the dead Right. Well, Alex, we didn't know where Alex came from when she beat up Ben in the temple. Um, I'm convinced that when we saw Claire at Jacob's cabin, that he was taking her form. Mm -hmm. And then Christian Shepherd, of course, running around. Right. Always been kind of an issue. I I like that because there's been a lot of discussion, including on our podcast from listeners, that, you know, what is it with uh, the others and Alpert and we need the bodies back? You know, we need to do something with the bodies. Or there was the weird funeral ceremony where they sent the bodies out to 
to see. Oh, yeah, Colleen. And, right. And so we've had these issues like, why do you need to collect the bodies? What's so important about the bodies? And we've also learned that uh, some of these dark forces, if it's the, if the smoke monster is included in that, have a thing with water. You know, something about just a little puddle of water in under the house can keep the smoke monster at bay. So maybe if you put Colleen's body out in the ocean, that also puts it out of reach of AJ. So I kind of liked a lot of those connections. I mean, really, we're going to have to go back and re-examine the activities and actions and motivations of all of these dead people that's been that has that's been happening on the island it seems to boil down to between jacob and his nemesis the idea of choice Mm -hmm. and free will or destiny or something like that i mean jacob definitely focused on choice everything that he had done or at least the most meaningful conversation that he seemed to have both with i think hurley and with ben is okay well you've reached a critical point but i'm not going to tell you what to do it's all up to you whereas you know aj is like Forget it. You know, free will is bunk in the sense that the destiny is destruction. People cannot escape their nature. They cannot get out of this cycle of destruction. So what exactly is the loophole? I really, you know, I got a headache thinking about that. And uh, this is, I think, where it kind of comes out. Now, a loophole implies that there are rules. And I think when we try to figure out what those rules are, this episode gave us a number of them. First of all, really was the issue of leaders. And we've had this throughout the series. And we definitely got it kind of outlined many ways in this episode that for people on the island, for the others or the dwellers on this in this place, uh, it's very important who the designated leader is. They go out of their way to say, Richard says... Eloise is our leader. I must protect her. Mm -hmm. Um, We know that Ben becomes a leader, although Alpert has doubts about Ben's fitness as a leader. We also learn, of course, that Alpert here in this episode also had doubts of Locke as a leader because, as it turns out, Locke was the one giving him all of the information through his lifetime that he was special. So that's why Alpert made Locke the next leader over Ben, but it turns out Locke's leadership was probably not such a great idea after all. So in any case, now we know, and here Alpert freaks out and says only one person can be a leader. Only one person can go in to see Jacob. This is how it works. And he freaks out because both Locke and, you know, Ben go in there. And the loophole is, of course, that Locke was not the leader because he was AJ. He was AJ. He was dead. And all the time that they've been moving across the island, Alpert, Locke, and Ben, and all of these others, the actual leader, you know, in the chain of command that entire time was Ben. Right. Ben was always the leader since he arrived on 316 because ever since then, Locke's been in a coffin in a box. He's been dead, but he didn't know. And the best part is that that AJ, the fake Locke, has been completely undermining Ben's confidence as being a person of significance and importance that entire time. Ben has actually been the leader. Ben gets tricked into going into the temple as the leader, and then Ben makes the choice, perhaps as many, many, many leaders have been given that choice in past conflicts and he chooses to kill jacob so i think basically that's the loophole that that ben was the leader so ben was the person who could get in to kill jacob right i think so too because i had no idea and then when we got up when i got up the next morning we started talking about it i realized that that actually made a lot of sense well i mean the fact that he says i see you found your loophole obviously the arrival of the two of them is the evidence of that so you just had to kind of parse that out my question is though is that okay so this is the loophole that aj's been looking for for centuries to get at jacob so i guess we get the sense that past leaders have been given the opportunity to speak to jacob maybe prompted by the you know shenanigans of AJ using dead bodies to try and trick them into wanting to kill Jacob, but they didn't. But because in this case, AJ was able to be there with Ben, the actual leader, he was able to kind of goad him into that. Right. On the other hand, when he kicks, you know, when he gets stabbed, he says, 
they're coming. And then there's just this look of frustration or exhaustion on the face of AJ, like, oh, great, it's not actually over. And I, I really kind of wonder if maybe the decision to kill Jacob isn't that maybe this still isn't the first time that someone has done that. And that, in fact, this cycle has continued even past the point of someone deciding to kill Jacob. But Jacob has in some way worked out a way around it. And, and I think that's what their coming means in many ways. What do you think he means when he says they're coming? Well, I, I don't know about that. But the thing that I was thinking is Alpert tells Locke that he has to die. Does he realize that when Locke dies, AJ will take over? Is is this is is either Ben or Alpert aware that AJ could could have conceivably taken over Locke's body? Well, see, this is the mind bending part of this whole thing. At what point was Locke AJ? And I think that, yes, at the point where we see what we thought was Locke, tell Albert to tell the real Locke that he has to die. That was the fake Locke telling Albert to tell the real Locke he had to die so he could get his body. Does that make any sense? Okay, I need an Advil. I'm probably going to have to chart it out. I think one of our callers has a comment on it as well. But, you know, really, I think what we now saw with that scene that we thought was awesome where Locke was telling himself that he has to die was that was AJ basically putting in an order for one dead body, please. I don't know. That just That's just my thought. Oh, okay. But they're coming. I think they're coming is not Ilana them outside. I think they're coming is Jack, Kate, Sawyer, Son, Jin, Saeed, Hurley, flying through the space-time continuum to arrive on the beach right after that moment. What do you think? So he, so AJ thinks he's in trouble at this point. Or that, yes, oh great, Jacob's found yet another way to subvert me despite the fact that this leader stabbed Jacob. There's still a way to get around it with they. They are coming. And I think this all goes to the fact that there are these quick scenes where Jacob goes to visit a right. number of our losties and specifically go out of their way to show him touching them. Yeah. Taps Kate on the nose. He holds Sawyer's hand practically when he hands him the pen. He really grasps Sun and Jin's hand, hands to give them a blessing. So however that this works, I think basically that's him choosing them or, in, or you know, blessing them so that when he is near death and or when Jughead explodes or when the magnetic power is released on the island, those are the folks that are blasted through the space-time continuum to to rescue him there on the beach. At least I think that's what they might be saying. And he doesn't come anywhere near Juliet. I mean, he's not even in the same scene with her. I actually, that turns out, I think, to be a really big deal. You know, when we first saw that brief flashback of Juliet, you know, oh, my parents got divorced, that I thought was just a really cheap and ridiculous way to explain why she changes her mind on the island. Uh-huh. And we'll get to that. But yeah. I think the fact that Jacob wasn't there is also kind of their explicit way of saying she's not among the chosen ones. She's a goner. She might be a goner. Anything else strike you about Jacob's visits through the lives of all of our losties? Well, just that the visits happen at different periods in in the in the losties lives like Hmm. some are very very pre-crash and some were sort of pre-crash and some were post-crash oh yeah i thought that they were going to show him playing a part of getting them all onto 815 but no he he plays a part in some of their lives after they've been off the island right like like saeed he he encounters saeed after the press conference when he sees um nadia and he's happy and and he actually gets hurley to go on 316 after he gets out of jail yeah i thought that was really interesting in many ways, I think, really showing us that uh, maybe that getting on 815 really wasn't the key here necessarily, that there's still other parts of their lives that were significant to for this end game. hopefully that he's setting up to, to go after AJ. So do you think he saved Locke's life? That was really 
unusual the way that Locke was lying there still after falling, I think, a rather fatal distance out of a right. building. He puts his hand on his chest and Locke goes, <gasps> and he's awake. So right. I, I really felt that that was the implication. And that, I could think, makes you wonder, okay, so we know AJ takes the body of people after they're dead, but maybe there is a possibility that Jacob, you know, rather than possessing dead bodies, um, actually can bring that person back to life as themselves. Do you think that's what he's doing? I think there's a very specific purpose to bringing, I mean, he has to bring John Locke back to life or a lot of this stuff would never have happened. I think that that's true. I mean, given where he was in his life. The other reason why I kind of think that might have been what happened is that a lot of people are comparing the revived John Locke to the revived Christian Shepherd, but Christian Shepherd's body was not in the coffin when they saw Christian Shepherd walking around on the island. Oh, right. If it was the exact same situation of what's going on with Locke and anti-Locke or dark Locke, there should be two of them and they're not. So maybe there's a difference here. And maybe Jacob also does things with dead people, but in his case, it's more bringing them back to life. Do you think, by the way, that Jacob saved Saeed's life? Yes. You think that's what that act was when he pulls him back while she's in the street to get hit by the car? Yes, I absolutely think that. I think I don't think Saeed is, is gone by any stretch of the imagination. Hmm. So our Ajira people finally make their journey with the silver box containing the deadlock, uh-huh. but they get to Richard Alpert, which seems to be their objective all along when they went looking for Jacob up at the cabin and then they came down. So who is Ilana? Ilana was visited by Jacob and they seem to know each other. And he says, Ilana, I need your help with something. So what is she? I I find it interesting that we don't exactly know in what time period we found her in the hospital in Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, she... I think she could be Richard's counterpart, or she could be something like Richard. Oh, that'd be interesting. Someone who was previously a second-in-command or an advisor in that same position? Yeah, and somehow she found herself in Russia hurt, and then she was able to do what she, whatever she needed to do off-island to get Saeed to go on the plane. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess basically she, she seems to be playing on that team, the the Jacob team. Right. And uh, I do kind of like that she goes in, you know, she she didn't have any quest problem finding Jacob's cabin, which seems to have been a problem for everyone else, but she just marches in there. Right. But it turns out that, you know, what she was looking for, you know, clearly Jacob wasn't there, but she sees this weaving on the wall and, oh, obviously he's at the big foot. You know, like, clearly Uh she's very familiar with the island. She's familiar with Richard. Or actually, is she familiar with Richard? Because she asks, who's Ricardus? That's true. She does say that. So maybe she, you're right. Maybe she might have been a previous advisor to Jacob, a previous Alpert. And um, she's just coming to the island to find that person. You know, who is this Ricardus? Who is the person who can take me to Jacob? Because I need to talk to you. Uh I kind of like that. That's an interesting thought. In fact, that thought kind of is a possible answer to my next question, which is they talk about a candidate that Frank, what, you think Frank is a candidate? And he goes, what am I a candidate for? And I was going to ask you, what do you think that is? I don't know, membership in the others? Right, but now that we've... Some kind of leadership role on the island? But now that we've discussed the possibility that Ilana may have been an advisor to a Jacob of some kind... But if Richard is ageless then why would they need a replacement that's true that's true I, I i really didn't have a good answer to what he might be a candidate for just other than being one of them but uh, you know ilana as an advisor or as a previous leader on the island kind of looking for another candidate for a leader i kind of like that especially because frank briefly at least showed some leadership yeah. skills when the 316 arrived and remember 316 represents the arrival of another group of people on the island so right. that could all be it so do you think that means that Frank inherits Alpert's snazzy wardrobe? Oh, I suppose. Uh, he cleans up quite nicely, as you've said. 
Okay, so here's my issue. If Locke is fake Locke and Locke is in the box, is Locke really dead? I think that's what they're telling us. And that's kind of a bummer. I mean, I... Locke has been one of the greatest characters in this show. In TV history, and, not just the show. And for his last appearance to be either hung by Ben or tossed out on the beach from a box, I think that's kind of an inauspicious end for him, really. Yeah, it is. It's unfortunate. But it's it's going to be kind of fun to see Terry O'Quinn try to be somebody else. Yeah, know? I mean, he, now he's going to be the Dark Master, perhaps. And uh, if there's anything he might excel at, as we've seen in some of his other roles, is that he can be a pretty evil guy if he oh, really yeah. wants to. I really do think, though, that uh, this episode, you know, benefits from rewatching and probably most of season five will now because yeah. of this whole dark Locke thing. And I, and what's really st- stood out for me was the conversation Locke has with Ben when they're walking across the island. And uh, he goes, Ben, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you squeal on me to Albert? And he, he and Ben says, it's because my dead daughter told me to follow you. And, you know, Locke gets all like, whoa, really? You saw your <laughs> dead daughter? How about that? I guess I don't have to. And it turns out, of course, that he was he was both characters. It was uh-huh. a big puppet show in the temple. So I thought that that was kind of clever the way that it now works out. But Ben, you know, Ben, Ben, really great, evil, dastardly, clever Ben has been kind of undermined and insecure this entire season now, now that Locke has come back, even though he's not Locke. And the end scene is he gets sad he throws a tantrum he says this is it dude you've you've ignored me for too long now i'm finally important i'll show you and he stabs him i'm not sure do you think that was a natural end or you know a natural yes step for absolutely Star? especially given what we were shown in the very first scene they're arguing over human failings or arguing over people doing horrible things to each other in the name of jealousy and fear and that just what Ben did illustrated to me everything that that AJ the, and Jacob yeah, were talking they were about. Saying. Okay, well, see, that's I think is really the key to kind of enjoying this episode because when you talk about them reverting or regressing or reversing character trends or growths that we've been invested in for a long time, that's something that frustrated him about this episode. That's what frustrated me about the the shipper stuff, the romance stuff, the the soap opera stuff. I, and I think, and that's really why you stormed upstairs. The whole the fact that Jack went to these ridiculous lengths to deliver this bomb <laughs> to the Swan Station because Kate didn't love him anymore. That just completely rubbed me the wrong way. All four of them were acting. Well, actually, no. Sawyer, to me, was the voice of reason in the whole situation. Mm. But just the things that motivated them to do this extreme act really bothered me. Well, okay. I don't think Sawyer escapes. But let's let's go over these because these, this was really key. We do see characters do things that don't make sense, especially if we liked them because they were growing. You know, Juliet and Sawyer, a very mature relationship, a deep and loving relationship, one that we yes. loved a great yes. deal. Yet Sawyer in this episode does a number of things and he goes out of his way. Like, for example, hey, if Jack wants to blow up a bomb, good for him. You know, I wash my hand of this. I am not getting involved. That to me seemed like a regression from his what he had done, which is stepping into a position of authority, responsibility and caring for a community of people here. He's willing to let them to all let them all die. And yes, Jack, he wants to blow up a bomb because his heart is broken. Why doesn't he just go to Thailand and get another tattoo for crying out loud? <laughs> and Juliet was the one that really annoyed me because not only does she decide that, you know, she's 
jealous of Kate, so that's why she's now in with the let's blow up the world plan, but because she does that halfway through her plan to help Jack. Exactly. She's the one that turns on Sawyer and says, sorry, Sawyer, Kate is right. We should go back and stop Jack. We'll bring the sub up. We'll row back. We'll get the directions from Rose and Bernard, and we'll get to them in a bit. And, you know, we'll have to do this. And then halfway through that plan is when she says, I changed my mind. That I just thought was way too big of a stretch. Especially after the divorce scene. And without thinking about Jacob not visiting him, I thought that divorce scene was so pointless and volitious it was like oh it is because my parents had a divorce that i have commitment issues all of a sudden after three years of domestic bliss right exactly and kate you know i actually felt really bad for her this episode Mm. because she is going to get the blame for killing Juliet. Yes, you couldn't reach her or you didn't get the chains off of her. And that's or she we wouldn't have them. even been in that situation if you hadn't come on the sub. I guess. I mean, Kate, again, is the victim. Her character is a victim of just, you know, putting her where she needs to be as a pivot point for other characters. She doesn't really, she isn't given enough of her own motivation, her own reason for being. And I find that annoying. And uh, Sa- Saeed... He also, I don't know what's going on with him. So he he loses Nadia in the previous scene. So we see he's willing to go ahead and give up and die. So what are they saying when he says he's going to rig the bomb to blow up on impact, but it doesn't? Two ways to interpret that is either Saeed was doing something strong-willed and saying, you know what, I'm going to subvert this plan and I'm going to make, I'm not going to rig this bomb to blow up an impact so it doesn't blow up. I think that would be an interesting way to 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 approach that scene. That would be, yeah. Except I don't think that's what they did. I think that they just needed to have a dramatic way for, for, for Juliet's character to sign off in a heroic way. So as a result, they completely make him impotent. He One of his last acts before he's willing to die is to rig a bomb that doesn't blow up after falling 30, 40 feet down a hole. And all Juliet has to do is whack it with a rock. Well, so what does the, that mean for Saeed? He's the king of the bad plans anyway. So it's, right. it was a little disappointing to see that he came up with this idea for the bomb and it didn't work out. So, I mean, yes, Sawyer, he reverted to being selfish. Jack reverted to being jealous of other people. Juliet, for whatever reason, decided she couldn't, you know, she couldn't be happy in a relationship. All of these characters regressed. And I found that frustrating, but only if you feel, you know, faith in the overall plan that you pointed out that, okay, this is them showing Jacob and AJ and AJ's point that people are always going to come back to their original way. They're going to not be able to escape the cycle and destroy themselves and okay that's what they're showing us but if that's what they're showing us then good golly i kind of feel a little annoyed for being so invested in the progress that these characters have made exactly i think no matter how you look at this episode it erases some aspect of what we've been spending time watching all of these years to some extent and in many ways that's sort of been a threat that they've been giving us by erasing everything that happened with the plane if the plane lands in los angeles and we don't even know each other so well very quickly do you think when jughead went off that they reset history and they're going to land in los or actually they got turned around so maybe they're going to land in guam or something but do you think they're going to erase all of that i cannot imagine that happening for so many reasons yeah um, some practical reasons, like I don't think they're actually going to get the actors who play Shannon and Boone to right. revive. Or Mr. Echo or anybody. I mean, a lot of them didn't yeah. even leave on good terms. So no, I don't think that that's what they're going to do. I think that the Jughead blowing up or not blowing up or whatever that white flash was is basically, hopefully, putting all of our characters in the same place just so that season six is not Back to the Future 2 all over again. Uh-huh. So, But we did have other deaths. Okay, so maybe Juliet is gone. Maybe Saeed is gone. We'll have to wait and see. But boy, did we lose, uh, you know... J- 
Phil died. That was kind of a great thing. Yes. <laughs> I was, I, the only thing about Phil that disappointed me was that Sawyer didn't kill him. You're right. I mean, you're right, because uh, earlier when Phil whacks Juliet, Sawyer uh-huh. says really well, you know, in a really menacing way, I'll kill you. So it really seemed like, okay, well, at least before the end of this season, we're going to see him kill him. Uh-huh. It seemed like that he deserved to get that notch in his belt. But I guess a pipe through the heart isn't necessarily that bad of a way for him to go either. No. So we do get some questions that we've had lingering for a long time answered, sort of. We were all wondering why uh, is Hurley on 316, and I guess it's because Jacob, Jacob told, told him, him to be on. To, yeah. But hello, uh, guitar case. I mean, I swear to God, I was sure that if there was any payoff that we were also going to get in the season finale is what's in the guitar case. But yeah, no. man, they're gonna. They're, it's going to be like Pulp Fiction. We'll never figure it out. Oh my, that'd be rather bold of them. You think that, that guitar case is going to make it all the way through season six? Yes, I think. Oh, Oh my God. I think they it would just be it would be like them. It would be like them to to give us a prop and surround it with all this mystery and not pay it off. Yeah, I mean, I really don't like to think about all of the other things that we were kind of intrigued by this season. I mean, for example, that wonderful scene with the canoes where they're canoeing oh, out and yeah. who's the other people in the other canoes and is that them in another time loop chasing themselves or is that you know Ilana and friends? We don't know, and I don't think. We're going to see. I mean, how, with the with the 17 episodes left to go, how could they go back to that encounter, wherever that was in time, and repeat it? I, I really don't know how that's going to work. Although that was in 2007, I think. Uh-huh. So if 2007 is where they end up now moving we forward. We could still see it. Oh, okay. Well, I'll hold out hope for that one. And also Desmond. Whatever happened to Desmond? Where uh, is Desmond? Desmond. <laughs> where the heck is Desmond? I mean, I guess Henry Ian Cusick wasn't available or they just didn't have time. I mean, if there's anything that season five felt like was, holy cow, we're running out of time. We better hurry. Like, you know, yeah. there are so many things that are going to fall off this truck because it has to go 75 miles an hour down the interstate. They but really Desmond should is one have asked for one ones. more season. Or, you know, again, these are not full seasons. It would have been 24 episodes in a regular season. But yeah. whenever they made the deal to end the series, they shortened them all. And I think that... 24 episodes would have been a better length uh, yes, for all of this Yes, absolutely. Stuff. Oh, boy. Well, there were some interesting, though, callbacks, I thought. Curly uh, again, goes out of his way to mention Dear Charlie and uh-huh. Dear Libby, and I thought that was kind of a nice touch. And, of course, there's the scene with Sun. Right. She finds the cradle, and, and she picks it up, and she notices Charlie's ring inside. So does that mean anything, or is that just a nice tribute, a nice, you know, again, salute from the writers to our long-lost characters? Well, I'm willing to think of it as just like a salute, but, mm-hmm. you know, Jacob Hope's touched Sun, yes. and Sun touches the ring, Okay. so maybe when she gets sucked through the time-space continuum, she brings Charlie with her? That'd be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, why not? Um, and maybe we, they'll figure it out because there's going to be another flashback where Jacob visits with Charlie at some point when he's in the drive shaft. Who knows? I would kind of, I, that would be hilarious if they all kind of collapse on the beach at the foot and Charlie's there's there Charlie, with yeah. I don't know. That, that'd be kind of fascinating, but somehow I don't see that happening. So uh, on the subject of things that we did like, I have to say that Rose and Bernard were my favorite scene in the entire episode. I did too. I mean, in some ways it was kind of jarring because the, you're, the, it almost seems like, okay, we're putting this in here to shut the rest of you guys up because you're uh-huh. all asking about Rose and Bernard. Here you go. But in many ways, I, it was just annoy, uh, enjoyable specifically because of the way the initial reaction when they spot Juliet. Oh, uh, hell no. I know. <laughs> Son of a bitch. We got found out. And the other thing that I found fascinating about Rose and Bernard is, you know, they went full Dharma. They went, we are at peace. We've 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 retired from this ridiculous warring lifestyle. It's always something with you people. Yeah. So we're, we're just happy to be together. And that's all we really 
really need. So that was kind of it. It it was outside of the the feel of the entire episode, but to me, it was. It was a great visit with them. They are so Adam and Eve. So you're in that camp now. Yes, absolutely, 100%. I'd bet the farm on it. Well, I mean, yeah, if they uh, live in peace and harmony and it's time to go, or in fact, if they anticipate Jughead going off uh-huh. and they crawl into a cave and hold hands, you know, why not? I can I can see that. I do agree with you in some ways when I say, though, that I think this is also the end of Rose and Bernard. You think we're uh, going to see that? Yes, I'm sure it's the end, just because it's been so long since we've seen them. Yeah. And that's, they that's both sad. are very busy actors. Mm-hmm. So I can absolutely say with certainty now that they're gone and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I thought that, I mean, as as character ends go, this was, a, I think, a very enjoyable one and, and one fitting for those characters. Yes. Absolutely. We also saw Vincent. The dog of doom. Oh, but I mean, talk about a character or somebody that everybody's wondering where he is and what he's up to. I guess he's been living with Rose and Bernard all this time. I guess so. So do you think that uh, it's significant in, in many ways? I mean, you have the, you had that missing pieces thing where he kind of showed up with Christian Shepherd and all yeah. of that and a lot of people have said that Vincent is in fact a, a bad omen of some kind. Yeah, I mean usually when he shows up something is about to happen. Um, the the only exception to that that I can think of is the whole Paulo and Nikki thing when he pulls the blanket. I don't oh, really know. Oh, he's trying know. to save them. Yeah, I don't really know like what significance that has but I'm really convinced that he's the harbinger of death like Starbuck. <laughs> he's okay. I can that could work too. Well, here's my question about Vincent, which is if there's again, and, and the the creators are clearly toying with us anytime they can. So I don't know how seriously we can take anything they say. Right. But they've said that Vincent is one character that they promise will be alive at the end of season six. <laughs> and now if you take that as gospel, it doesn't seem like Vincent is going to flash around anywhere. It doesn't. It seems like Vincent is going to live a happy dog life and die when with Rose and Bernard in 1977. So how does Vincent make it to the end of the series? Yeah, that's true. That's but, true. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it. It is, after all, just a dog. I mean, there's a lot of things to nitpick. And and one of these things I I heard in one of the other podcasts on the Lost Podcasting Network, Uh Jughead. How about this whole Jughead issue? I know. It's shrinking. It's it's. 50 feet tall in one episode right in Jughead it's like three four stories tall it is ginormous and then when they put it smaller but still uncarryable when it's in underground and then it's just the thing that you can carry on your backpack exactly (laughs) they after making so big a deal out of how much its mass and size was an issue both from burying it and then from moving it they not only does the actual structure shrink from episode to episode is that oh by the way we didn't need the whole bomb we just put it in a bag I mean, yeah. I just thought that was a little much. And, and the whole thing about Locke falling out of the building, it was a very dramatic scene when they did the special effects and he gets it's pushed the out the window, yeah. but he's surrounded by shards of glass. Uh-huh. In this episode, I actually laughed when he hit the grass behind Jacob because it really looked like someone had just tossed a pillow out the window, in part because there's no cascade of broken glass. There was just something a little right, weird exactly. about Right, exactly. Exactly. I was thinking that too. Things I did like, um, Frank gets called a Yahoo again. Okay, that happens a lot. They keep calling each other Yahoo, and I don't think they really understand why they're calling each other that. No, I don't think everybody gets called a Yahoo. Frank is the only person who's been called a Yahoo. No, and Frank called Sawyer a Yahoo, or he referred to them as Yahoos. Oh, okay. Well, I only remember him saying, someone saying, you know, what are you doing with this Yahoo? And Frank goes, Yahoo? Who are you calling a Yahoo? So when he said that when he was on the canoe, I was expecting him to spring up like a mannequin and (laughs) What are you? Who are you calling a Yahoo? But in any case, I thought that was kind of a fun one. And he also has that other line, which was key for all of Lost, which was, 
in my experience, the people who say that they're the, uh, they're the good guys are actually the bad guys. Absolutely. Um, ben, I thought, had some pretty choice lines in this episode. I lied. It's what I do. Which it's true. But I, I liked when um, Locke comes up and says, can I ask you a question? I'm a Pisces. Right, exactly. And the reason why that's extra funny is that all of the Lostpedia folks are like, wait a minute, he's not a Pisces. No, he's a Sagittarius. Yeah, December 19th is his birthday, if you believe that fact is true about him. But that was pretty cool. And the whole line about uh, when Sun says, asks about the statue and he says something and she goes, do you expect me to believe that? No, not really. I, he was in top form in part because, again, he was really reaching the end of his rope. He yeah. was really feeling there was nothing to lose. And eventually, unfortunately, um, he turns on Jacob. But, you know, really, really cool lines. Miles, you know, he says, uh, well, first of all, he gets the line that it took forever for somebody to say, which is, wait a minute, if we've been seeing whatever happened happen, then maybe what Jack is about to do is the incident. Maybe uh -huh. he's creating what we're trying to start. So right. I thought, you know, somebody had to say it. It might as well have been him, the clear thinker. And, and Jack says... We're not going back in time. And, and Miles retorts, right, because that would be ridiculous. <laughs> Very good. Um, I, I love Miles. Again, if Sawyer's not in a quipping mood, which obviously he wasn't in this episode, somebody had to have those lines. There were some unintentionally funny lines. Uh, you know, you as a fan or non-fan of the movie Seven. No, I like Seven. Oh, okay. You kept screaming throughout the episode. What's in the <laughs> I know. I just couldn't let that. I couldn't believe that. And then, of course, when Saeed is, you know, just sort of marching across Othersville, and um, Roger spots him and points the gun, and he kind of throws his arms up, like, "Don't!" <laughs> it just reminds me of that horrible John Travolta movie, like, "Please oh, don't shoot the thermonuclear po device." Poison Arrow is right. that the one? I think that was Broken it. Arrow. Broken Arrow. And uh, uh, Juliet, I think, unfortunately, gets the supposed to be poignant but absolutely awful line delivery of oh, the episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's your favorite line. Live together, die alone. Oh, oh. my golly. I, I don't know what they meant. I mean, they it's once Rose made fun of that line. And it said, was over, I mean, yeah. you know? It's like, okay, we are now done with that catchphrase. Right. Uh, why they brought it back, I don't know. I, I just rolled my eyes. One line that did stand out for me. Um, AJ, anti-Jacob, man in black, man number two, flock. You know, whatever you call that guy on the beach. <laughs> he says something in that first scene that I didn't catch until we watched it the second my time. My friend. My friend. He says, my friend. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. The people who say my friend are the, you know, the Brams, the Ilanas, uh, those Caesar folks Caesar and Ilana out. and Bram, yeah. So what does that mean? Or maybe they're all just sort of tied together so they all say my friend. I, I think that inclusion was not accidental. No, I don't I don't think so either. I don't really know what it means yet. I, th I think maybe it's just a way of identifying each other. Hmm. That the, the, if they refer to each other as my friend, it's just easier for them to recognize. Yeah, I mean, I think basically that if there's a tie to this ancient battle or this ancient peoples, that my friend might just be part of the lexicon. But in any case, I kind of like that. There was a book prominently featured, of course, as in every episode. Yes, of Lost, and it's so weird because I knew this was going to happen. Um, they featured everything that rises must converge by Flannery O'Connor. And mm -hmm. I've been hearing a lot about Flannery O'Connor lately, and I became really interested in her. And I actually got a book of... Of some of her uh, another book of her short stories and i really would like to read this one now do you know what uh, everything rises must converge is about well the book is actually a collection of short stories mm. but there is a story in the book called everything that rises must converge and it's a book about mommy issues hmm. and it's a book a book about kind of it's a it takes a really negative view of humanity and it's not very hopeful just just like aj it's not very hopeful about human right beings. we're all we're all screwed up in some way and we're all full of sin i guess and and i've read synopses and it really reminds me of lancelot 
by Walker Percy, which we also see Sawyer reading earlier on, I think, in season two. Hmm. So, you know, again, we've got a long hiatus. If you want to read something, I guess this could be, I mean, I know you're going to read it, so maybe yes, our viewers will. And I guess finally we can cover some of the locations that we saw in this episode. Of course, we saw some scenes and locations we've seen before, such as where Sun and Jin right, got married. Right, the Byoto Inn Temple on the Windward side. Yeah, over in Kaneohe. We saw the building where Locke was pushed out of the window. That's the Waikiki Landmark, right there on Kalakaua. Um, the church, uh, the, two, the church where the double funeral was, is a small church in the Eva villages. I didn't know where so, that was. Yeah, we had uh, some reports in our forward cabin back when they were filming that scene. Um, you immediately recognized the prison. That, yeah, uh, her... C. It's it's very distinguished looking. Right. Well, it, what I found fascinating is they filmed that shot right there out on Dillingham, which is a main uh-huh. thoroughfare in Honolulu. So it must have been quite a treat for the folks that just happened to be driving by at that yeah. moment. And uh, the scene where Nadia was killed, that's by uh, that's off Ward Avenue, right by Ward Warehouse, a little sh- a shopping complex that we have at the corner of Awaki and Kamani Streets. And as I reported here in our previous episode during the Ford Cabin, I watched them film that scene. Yeah. So that was quite a thrill to finally see it on screen. Um, I missed the stunt, though, so seeing her get hit by the car was pretty darn dramatic. Yeah. Um, I did not know the store where uh, Kate uh, sh- shoplifted the, the new kids on the block lunchbox. And, hey, wait uh, a minute, wait a minute. The new kids on the block lunchbox. Mm-hmm. Is that the box that they bury in the tree? Oh, the the time capsule. Yeah. That they bur- and and they, they dig it up later, in fact. Yeah. Actually, you're right. I, I am almost 100% certain that that's the same. I, I, I like seeing Tom with his little airplane, but I uh-huh. forgot. I didn't even remember that the lunchbox was a prop. But in any case, good good thought. Um, but uh, that store, um, someone had, had also reported for us in the forward cabin, but I heard from Dr. Mike, who said that that was the Ba'ala Kai market uh, way out there, actually kind of close to Haleiwa, where they oh, filmed that okay. shot. So unfortunately, it isn't named the, the name of the store that you see in the shot but it is a small town store um also one of my our local listeners pointed out that if you watch closely as she walks down you see sort of a stack of uh, wooden chopsticks which <laughs> you might not see in a store where she in was Iowa, as a small child, no. but in any case that's definitely what you would see here so that's our more than two cents on this two-hour like episode of Buck 50 on the incident. We're going to catch our breath, take a short break, and come back and turn it over to you all, everybody. Wow, Ron and Jen. Holy freaking crap. That was crazy. I cannot believe just that. What that oh, my gosh, dude. I just got done watching it. It's like five minutes after I watched it. That was crazy. I cannot believe it ended like that. I can't believe they didn't show us what the explosion did. I thought Juliet was dead. Wow. I just got one question for y'all. This is a question that y'all need to ponder for the next uh, however many months we got until January. Who is this guy that was with Jacob in the beginning and apparently took the persona a lot? They didn't even tell us his name. But if he can just come up and kill this character that we have been questioning about and have been, like, worshipping for the past three seasons, just killed him like nothing, this guy has got to be somebody important. I don't I don't know, dude. The whole finale was great. The twists were amazing. I loved it. That ending made the season great for me. Can't wait to hear what y'all have to say about the episode, and I'll talk, about, talk to y'all later. 
Bye. We had to start things off there with a call from our good friend, John, from North Carolina. And I got to say, he's sort of becoming the man with the catchphrase yeah, here it's, it's, for seems our like podcast. That's our, our official catchphrase. Sounds phrase. like a t-shirt, folks. But in any case, his mind was blown. He said the finale made the entire season for him. And what's the deal with anti-Jacob, AJ, this other guy? Um, I kind of like the fact that uh, Jacob did die easily. I think that that's going to be part of the mythology, that it's really not so much that he's all-powerful, but that, you know, he has to believe in the better nature of of mankind right. to allow him to exist so if somebody wants to stab him then someone's going to stab him in any case who have we got to hear from next we have calls from jared jonathan and kyle hi ryan and jen this is jared in michigan formerly jared in chicago still trying to wrap my head around that finale and the only thing that comes to mind is holy freaking crap i, I really can't think of sense much right now i'm still kind of in shock but uh Two quick, two quick notes. Absolutely loved finally seeing Jacob getting a little bit of his story. Hopefully they'll still show us more next season with uh, the introduction of uh, Not Lock. And my wife may have cringed when it happened, but I'm so glad Phil's dead. Anyways, can't wait to hear the podcast. I don't know what I'm going to do until 2010. Oh, mahalo, guys. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Jonathan from Washington State. We had a finale fever, and the only prescription was 42 doses of holy freaking crap. This is an awesome episode. At first, I thought that introducing Jacob as a character just totally randomly would kind of suck, but the casting for Jacob was really good. Like, he seemed like a nice kind of guy, not the creepy guy you'd meet in an alley that everyone sounds like. Yeah, everyone makes him sound like. Um, like, I was kind of sad that he actually died. It was kind of annoying. Speaking of dying, um, I'm so glad that Radzinski finally shot himself because uh, this episode proved to me that he was more annoying than I actually thought. Hey, Transmission, this is Kyle from Baton Rouge. Just like to offer up an opinion on the show real quick in my own HFC. That was by far the greatest season finale they have done yet. Uh, and just a, just a little theory real quick. Uh, before, who we saw in the cabin was not, in fact, Jacob, but Jacob's enemy, and now he's been let loose on the island, uh, thus the uh, broken circle of ash, kind of like uh, stopping his prison. I think it was H.P. Lovecraft used to write stories where monsters were contained in circles of salt uh, as like some sort of like magic spell to keep them there. So whatever this is... Uh, was kept in there by probably Jacob, and now with uh, in league with the smoke monster, thinking maybe uh, it's form of Alex telling Ben she would kill him if he tried to stop John Locke. So those two at least are some sort of faction, I believe, and uh, that was actually Jacob's enemy in the cabin all along. So there's a little theory. Thank you very much for what you guys do. Uh, enjoy listening to it every week like everyone else does, and uh, have a wonderful week. We'll see you in 2010. Bye. Mahalo for those calls, and as you can see, several holy freaking craps there. At and... least 45. Right. I mean, if we're going to be using it as a unit of measure, this was at least a 45 HFC episode. Jared, very impressed. And uh, he liked that we got to see Jacob, of course, and that he was happy that Phil is dead. You and me both, bud. Yeah, absolutely. I still think Sawyer should have done it. But in any case, happy to see him go. Jonathan also praising a death that Radzinski's death is eventually going to happen. He's going to be a stain on the right. roof. I was surprised. I mean, so he does escape the collapse of the tower and everything. His Jeep overturns. But, you know, he's still going to be put in there and have to push the button. Well, 
Well, what I want to know is if he's such a high-ranking guy that he can push everybody around, how come he ends up on button duty? Well, I, well, actually, that's true. I think, though, because he created the swan, he you know pushed on ahead despite all the warnings to the contrary, that if there is now an uncontrollable force in that area that needs to be dispatched every 108 minutes, that becomes his job. They're like, all right, you built it, you fit, you know, you broke it, you buy it. <laughs> you have to <laughs> you have to sit in there and that's your job. I kind of like the thought that being in the swan is kind of his purgatory after he was so obsessed about it. And finally, Kyle from Baton Rouge saying that uh, he thought that it was the greatest season finale yet. That's bold words. That is a bold statement. Yeah, I don't think we'll put it up uh, anywhere near that high, but I'm glad they enjoyed it. Absolutely. And he points out that he thinks that the person in the cabin when we when who said help me was actually aj anti-jacob the alternate of jake yeah and i think that's actually a good uh good conclusion because in this episode ilana goes up to the cabin and he says oh someone else has been using it burn it down and they see the the ash broken oh my gosh i I hadn't even thought about that so what was happening in that scene way back when well maybe anti-jacob was there and had finally been able to reach out to Locke. and Uh what does Locke eventually do to help that entity oh become a dead body to be possessed so i think in many ways that's kind of cool actually if you go with it in that sense Um, you know from the time we've sat down to do this podcast i like this episode 150 the more people talk about it and again i watched it a second time i liked it better the second time so i think that's kind of been the case with any episode that we didn't necessarily like the first time that we Uh can kind of with a with a breath and a step back and appreciate it more and you know with the long hiatus ahead of us we can probably watch the finale six or seven or eight more times in any case i also like what kyle said about the ash and you know hp lovecraft i think there's a lot of stories that involve artifacts or different ways to contain right. evil. what do you think about the smoke monster we can talk about that a little bit greater detail do you think that the smoke monster was aj or the anti-jacob and and that's you know what he was yeah absolutely i think that's what claire was when he she visited kate i think that's what alex was and i'm starting to think that's what charlie was when he visited hurley yeah i mean i think the biggest piece of evidence we have now is going back and looking at that scene in the in the temple when Locke is there who is anti Jacob Locke disappears. The smoke monster comes out. Smoke monster disappears. Alex comes out. Alex disappears, and then Locke comes back. So, right. You know, in many ways, you can see he's just sort of pl- doing this little puppet show. There is kind of another way to look at it, though, and I also like it that the smoke monster is actually an independent. The smoke monster is in tune with the island, independent of black or white. It's kind of gray. I mean, not let alone its coloring. But you know, you have sort of the well. Here's the thing: Ben summons the smoke monster, right. or he seems to at least know the process to get it to come out, and he says, "I can't." control it and we've seen the smoke monster kind of act more like uh, a wild animal and yeah it's described like an as attack a, dog yeah or a security system right so in that sense i think that you would expect a little more conscientious or conscious behavior by the smoke monster if it was actually anti-jacob the guy in black i don't know it. we were kind of talking about this and i i had this idea in my head that maybe one of the reasons why ben wasn't accepted by jacob was that he was fooling around with the smoke monster too much he was using knowledge that he shouldn't have had. Oh, I, I can see that, definitely. And, you know, we've always had these issues with uh, with uh, Albert having issues with Ben's leadership and him probably being distracted and using these forces on the island for more practical gain than, you know, whatever the deeper purpose of the island is. So I can definitely see that. In any case, we've got more calls now from Lucia, Mr. Jacob, and another Kyle. Hi, Ryan and Jen. It's Lisa uh, from Albany, Maryland. I'm devastated. I'm so sad about Julia and Sawyer, and it was so gut-wrenching the way he was saying, don't you let go, and he wouldn't say I love you because that was saying goodbye, and I just, God, I wanted to kill Kate right then. 
Also, you know, I knew from the very beginning, as soon as they showed the two guys on the beach, Jacob and the other guy, I pointed out to my husband, I said, isn't it interesting that one's wearing black, one's wearing white? So I think all that time, Ben was right when he was saying that they were the good guys. I think that white is a is just really driving it home that he that they were the good guys. And I just, as soon as they started talking and they walked in, and I knew that it had to be uh, John Locke in the coffin, because in the very beginning, they kind of clued us in. It was a little obvious when they said that there was that he was going to find his loophole. And sure enough, and it's like, damn, now he's dead. Like, didn't John, well, the way where he is, look scared when he said they're coming? It should be interesting. I can't believe we have to wait seven months. That is just oh, so bogus. Can't wait to hear your podcast. Bye. Aloha, Ryan and Jen. Mr. Jacob calling to report on the incident, and holy cow. Season 5 has been great, probably my favorite season thus far, and it's had plenty of, you know, WTF moments, but this is probably the first time since the end of Through the Looking Glass that I can safely say that my mind is blown. Will the real John Locke please stand up? Are we really led to believe that Locke was just a pawn the entire time? I mean, you know, meeting Smokey and turning the wheel. It's just especially hard for me since Locke is my favorite character, but um, there has to be something more going on than Black Shark Guy taking the form of Locke. I mean, you know... He, whoever he was, knew all about Ben and Alex. He knew the details of Ben killing him. And, um, you know, let's not forget the real Locke was healed from paralysis. And, you know, he had Jacob specifically ask for him to help. Uh, so what do you guys think? Are we are we done with the real John Locke? Is he just a dead body on the beach now? Um, either way, you guys are the best. I hope you spend the summer recapping season three. Um, it'll be fascinating to look back on it. Uh, either way, I'll see you in line at Comic-Con. Take care. Hey guys, this is Kyle calling from Madrid, Spain. Uh, I just watched the incident on iTunes and I thought it was pretty great. Um, a few things. The incident happened. Check. Chang loses his arm. Check. I think that the bomb probably didn't change anything and whatever happened, happened. Um, in fact, I think that it probably prevented the incident from ending the world, much like Desmond saved the world by turning the key. I remember we see that same white flash when the bomb goes off. Um, now, I don't know the ins and outs of atom bombs, but let's say somehow it neutralizes the electromagnetism. Uh, later, Dharma finds out that the electromagnetism regenerates over time. So, they build the hatch with the button to safely discharge the energy before it gets too big to handle. Um, and since the A-bomb worked before, as a fail-safe, they install another bomb in case the magnetism ever grew too big again. So, uh, now let's just hope we get to see you, Juliet, running around in the jungle next season. Take care. <laughs> oh, my. In any case, uh, thanks for those calls. Lucia saying, you know, it was really sad to see Juliet and Sawyer and that separation when she falls down the, the hole. In my top five tearjerker moments, that's like number one with a bullet. Yeah, you know, I got to say, it definitely got to me, and it was really shocking because just before that, I was a little still annoyed at what, what Juliet was pulling. Yeah. And, you know, basically saying, if I don't have to see you or meet you i don't have to fall in love with you or lose you and then they have that scene so it despite the fact that that was kind of close uh-huh. it still hit home it and uh, yeah you got a little dusty in the living room um and you know i agree, I agree that kind of kate is going to be on a lot of people's hit lists unfortunately uh, do you think that this proves outright the black and white thing that ben is on the side of white and white is the side of good no i don't think it's ever that simple on this show there's good parts and bad parts to all of the sides and i i 
they haven't talked about yin and yang on the show like I thought they would, but I don't know. That's how I see it. Right. Two sides of the same coin versus uh-huh. opposing forces uh, constantly butting heads. And, you know, I, 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 I'm really interested because we see Ben take this step and it seems like a major failing on the part of his character, despite after being undermined and teased and goaded into it, he takes this action. But I think that, you know, we've discussed this before. I think there may still be room for Ben's, uh, you know, to be redeemed somehow. And I'd, somehow I'd, I'd be kind of interested in seeing that. Uh, Mr. Jacob, mind is blown like the end of the, Through the Looking Glass. And yeah. Let's go back to that. I guess some, you know, that's possible. Um, but, you know, John Locke, as we discussed, it's kind of sad. If this is the end of the character that we've known and loved, that's that's there should be some mourning period for him, I guess. I think so. Maybe we're just not, maybe we're through with him as a character now, but maybe we'll see him in flashback later on. Or also, and we've said, you know, he's a good actor, so if he has to play an evil force, that That'll could be, be even entertaining better. as well. Yeah. And someone on our blog had pointed out, because Locke's body has now been tipped out of the box and Jacob was just stabbed, you know, a few feet away, if there's a possibility that Jacob also has the same ability to reanimate bodies or bring them back to life. So there'll be a good lock and a bad lock. That would be kind of cool. I oh, mean, boy. Bad twin. We've, <laughs> there you know, we go. Exactly. Yeah. So who knows whether we're going. Sounds like Mr. Jacob is going to be at Comic-Con. So we'd love to meet him. We'd love to meet anybody Absolutely. who's making it out there. And Kyle, this Kyle in Madrid, awesome, way over there, watches it on iTunes. He says that, you know, whatever happened, happened. And this is sort of the story we see playing out. But he thinks that the failsafe key that Desmond turned and this Jughead, you know, core going off are two separate bombs that basically after they've identified how to neutralize it, that they installed a second one with the rebuilding of the, the yeah. swan. That could work. I kind of like the idea that it's it's the same energy or the same force or something else goes on and that maybe the Jughead didn't necessarily go off, but we'll have to wait. I mean, that's the thing. That's what they did with the flash to white. We have no idea what that flash meant and what it indicated. You know, we've had plenty of shirtless guys. I mean, we've had enough shirtless guys to last us a <laughs> lifetime right. on this show. And I guess a little equal time would be okay. I like that. You know, yeah, if Desmond was sitting right on top of the thing when he turned the key and he ends up just sort of running around nude then uh, if, if that was Juliet right next to the bomb sounds like she's a good candidate for that I and I could just sort of picture the scene that no it's not what you think but I could just sort of picture the scene that it's going to be Hurley that comes across her as well and has to has to help her out and so in any case that's kind of a fun thought speaking of equal time we want to air some opposing views on the episode we now have calls from Amber Ilias and Anonymous what Holy freaking crap! That was the worst season finale ever! This is Amber from Utah, by the way, and we were gonna get, I thought we were gonna get something. There was nothing! There was. There was nothing, no resolution to anything! I mean, I mean, Jacob, but what the crap isn't happening to John's body? Or. Or masquerading as John. I didn't like it. I, you guys totally called it, by the way. It's just all going to go white, and we're not even going to know what happens. But I can't. If I ever was angry that somebody was actually right on a theory, it was now. I wanted some answers. I'm going to go read a book now and try and be happy. But I still can't wait to hear the podcast because... I need some serious help trying to understand all this. See ya. Hi, uh, John and Ryan. Elias from Germany. Um, after the famous thud, I was really angry. Um, it's just, I don't understand. So we've been watching, we spent five seasons watching uh, the pawns, uh, Jacob's pawns getting, you know, put a, being put in place uh, in his perpetual battle against man number two. 
that's all this soap opera thing, you know, the love triangles, Kate likes Sawyer, loves Jack, Jack wants to blow island because he cannot get Kate and all these things, um, just putting me off, um, the rumble thing that he pulled in the village in another town, um, it's just um, not up to par with season one, two, and three, uh, or four. Um, the scene with Sir and Juliet was a maze to watch throughout all five seasons. Great acting. Um, don't get me wrong, I love the show. I have invested much. Probably not as much as you guys have, but um, this is a low moment for me. I hope it will change in eight months. Can't wait for the Blu-ray box to come out this fall and watch it all over again. You guys are the best. You rock. Mahalo and hope to hear again to hear you to hear you guys soon again. Enjoy San Diego. Bye bye. Oh dear Ryan and Jen. I know you guys don't usually dwell on negativity, but oh man, I have never ever been so disappointed in the show. I feel at this point like I'm watching season six only so that the last five years of attention that I paid to the show just doesn't go to waste. But, man, was that disappointing. I I don't know what Damon and Carlton are smoking, but they need to stop now. Mahalo for those calls. Good golly. So, again, there are some folks who were not impressed with this episode. Well, I have to say, at the final thud, I kind of felt the same way. I don't think you were quite as frantic as Amber was, no. but you were upset. And, again, though, I think the more we talk about it, the more we like it, the more we see it, the more we like it. So there's, I think there's hope for you, Amber. I really do. Hang in there. Um, Elias from Germany said, you know, well, this definitely isn't up to par of all of the season finales that have come before. I think we agree. We kind of put it at the bottom of the rankings for all of these seasons. For now. For now, at least. Who knows? But he did think that the Sire and Juliet uh, fall was again, one of the, one of the most you know, gut-wrenching, gut-wrenching scenes. Absolutely. I agree. Um, but he sort of echoed, I thought, that the soap opera stuff and all of these the love story things was just really distracting in yeah, this episode. It was. So I can see that. But yes, Blu-ray could save him over the hiatus. And finally, Anonymous just really disappointed in the show. And he says that he's going to watch season six just because he doesn't want to feel like he wasted the last five seasons. I think season six is going to change the way we think about the show I think we're going to watch season 6 and we're going to realize what happened in this in this finale I also think that it's sort of been again telegraphed in a way from the beginning that from season 1 through season 5 every time we think that there are opposing forces that are fighting whether it's Jack versus Locke or our people versus the others or the Dharma initiative versus the others and you know they're kind of stepping back each time that this is a bigger and bigger battle than we think it is Charles Widmore or um, Ben or you know so Uh This is the logical next step, that this is actually a high-level conflict between good and evil, and that might be sort of a deal breaker that might be a shark jumping moment for you Ugh. but I you know I gotta say we're gonna for whatever reason we're definitely sticking with it for yeah. season 6 now we've got calls from Marie Jack and uh, a caller from Tulsa hi Ryan and Jen this is Marie from Indiana I just wanted to say wow on this finale I have had many moments over the years of either hating or loving the finales and this one I just don't know what to take from it just because we have no idea if any of the things we've seen will end up coming to pass in the end, or if they've been a race, or if we're going to be going on from where we are. And, of course, that's the big point of the whole flash at the end, I'm sure. Going into Season 6, I'm sure everybody has their list of things that has to happen. To me, I'm going to just name my big three. One is the drive shaft ring, of course. That has to be more important than just 
son having a moment in the episode that was touching and reminding us of who we've lost. Um, Adam and Eve from episode uh, from season one, we need to know who they are. Personally, I think they're Bernard and Rose. I'm in that camp, but we need to see one way or the other. And the third to me is more character-based and my favorite character, Ben. But to me, I am still waiting for Annie to come back in. We only saw her in one episode. We've had so many dropped-in hints that she's going to be very important to the to the uh, plot, and yet she's kind of just disappeared from any sort of peripheral on the show, no comments, no real questions I've been able to find, really. And I'm just praying that she's not going to end up being like Libby and she just kind of like pushed to the wayside and a dropped plot device because personally she seemed like a very interesting character to me and I'd love to see what where she is now and what happened to her. Okay, thank you. Good to talk to you. Bye. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is uh, Jack here in Tokyo. Uh, just want to say thanks. What a great podcast. I've been following you for a long time. This is my first time calling. Um, Overall, I liked the episode, the incident. Uh, I did have a couple of issues with it, though. Um, really sad to see uh, Juliet uh, finally gone. I thought that they could have done this one scene with a much greater emotional impact, and I was kind of hoping when it became obvious that she was going to go that uh, we would have seen an emotional impact kind of on the level that uh, we saw maybe with Desmond and Penny on the phone call from the Constant. Um, a couple of other things. Uh, this was really the first time that I could say that I really sympathized with Ben when uh, Darklock, as they are calling him, uh, pointed out to him that after he's given up so much, why wouldn't he want to uh, kill Jacob? And in that particular scene, I think uh, for the first time, I really, really actually felt on the side of uh, Ben. Anyway, uh, thanks for a great podcast. I follow it here in Tokyo all the time, and I'm uh, going to miss you guys for the next eight months just as much as I'm going to miss the show. So uh, let's uh, hope the hiatus uh, goes by nice and quick. Thanks again, guys. Uh, have a great uh, break. Uh, you certainly deserve it. Thanks. Hi, Ryan and Jen. It's Jason from Tulsa. Uh, first time caller. Um, I was just calling because I watched the uh, final episode of Lost, um, and I kind of got questions. I I would hope that we're not done hearing about uh, about Jacob. I'm a little confused because in the episode, um, Richard Albert says <clears throat> that he's ageless because of Jacob made him that way. Well, if Jacob has been alive through you know all, through many centuries and um he can make Richard Alpert ageless. Well, then how can how can Ben just kill him with a knife? I mean, that would seem to me that he's not a you know a human. Um, at least uh, it would seem like he, they killed him off awfully easy to me. Um, so anyway, I would I would hope that we would learn a, a little bit more maybe next season about uh, Jacob. I hope they're not done with him because we did learn a lot about him in this episode. Anyway, just want to see what your thoughts were on that. Thanks a lot. 
Thanks for those calls. So Marie, you know, said she's either hated or loved season finales. She doesn't know what to make of this one. I don't quite yet either. So. I think that's common. And I like that even on our blog and even on the web, people are like, I can't believe you liked it or I can't believe you didn't like it. I mean, people are utterly shocked that the other opinion yeah, exists. So. It's very polarizing this episode. So I, I can go with that. But in any case, she has her list of things that she wants answered in season six. I think this is probably a great topic for like a listener show yeah. or something. But what is your list? I mean, she had drive shaft ring and we talked about that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Rosen Bernard, obviously hot topic of conversation. And Annie, yes, Ben's little friend Annie. What's your list? Well, Annie's up there. Um, I don't think they've really explained the numbers to any significant the degree. The numbers, yeah, I guess And so. I definitely need answers on that. And also, I really want to know the final word on Claire. Well, yes, I think that it's a given that Claire is going to be a big deal. Um, as far as a character that needs to be resolved, I think Walt is on the short list because yeah, I mean, you just true. got if you watch the whole series from beginning to where we are now, that to me is a giant loose end. And I think that because they're spending time in the present in 2007, 2008, 2009, there is a way for Malcolm, Dave, and Kelly to play a yeah, role somehow. Is. So that'd be kind of cool. I'm I, on Annie. I'm thinking that may be another Libby. You know, they've said we're sorry, we're kind of done with Libby. I think Annie is enough of a fine thread that that might go away. I'd hate to think it, but as we discussed, it seems like they're running out of time. I don't they know are how, definitely many more, running out of time. how many more stories they could possibly tell. But in any case, Jack in Tokyo saying that he thought that the separation of Sawyer and Juliet was not all that great, that it wasn't as good as Desmond and Penny and their phone call in The Constant. I have to disagree with that. I mean, Penny and Desmond's phone call really did rip my heart out, but in, for an entirely different way. Right, right. It was a happy moment to yeah. some extent. I, I, think that, I, I think that this scene probably could have been better. Again, as I said, I was a little distracted at, the po- at that point by what Juliet was doing in general, but I thought that it was really, really well done. But the whole thing about Ben's character, he thought that this was actually well done for him, for Michael Emerson, for yeah, basically saying this is the, 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 his whole life has been tortured by this greater being and he finally couldn't take it anymore. Yeah, so I, I agree. That, 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 was that, was, a, that was very good absolutely and finally our caller from tulsa was that jason uh, mason? jason or mason Something i'm like so that. sorry sorry dude but in any case we liked your call and says okay we're, we better not be done hearing about jacob i think that's a given that is totally but, a given. you know what's the whole deal he got he killed off um he killed off jacob ben killed off jacob so easily considering that he can make people immortal i i know and i'm having a hard time with that too but I, I still have faith that, you know, we're not done with him by any long, by any stretch. Yeah, and I'm probably repeating myself, but I think that his, his you know, his vulnerability is part of his character, part of his mythology, that he gives people choice. And so far, up until this point, up until the loophole, he's been able to work with people's better natures to avoid the outcome that we just saw. Right. So that could have been what's going on. We now have calls from Anthony, John, and Doug. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Anthony from Chicago. <clears throat> I just had a question about Adam and Eve. Everybody keeps saying it's Rose and Bernard, which is a good possibility because I can see that because they're the only ones who are living, like Jacob said, in peace and harmony, unlike everybody else. However, I still am questioning why Faraday's mother, when he was a little boy playing the piano, was crying. Um, My partner seems to believe that it was the appearance of Charlotte's body, it appears. And he's pretty sure that Charlotte's body is placed next to Faraday's body in the cave because he had told Ellie when she was 17 that it was the only woman he loved was Charlotte. And that kind of makes sense. Um, It it kind of sounds really sad, too. And I'm kind of hoping that's true, but it probably is. (laughs) So I'm just leaving you this message. Thanks. Ryan and Jen, this is John from Atlanta, second-time caller, devoted listener. And I want to talk specifically about Christian Shepherd. 
Now that we know that the nameless dark entity who apparently inhabits others dead, other dead bodies throughout time um, actually does that, and that lock is not locked, then was he also inhabiting Christian? And is Christian Shepherd just ironically named? Or can Jacob also inhabit dead bodies? And it, does that also mean that Jacob could have something to do with the Claire Aaron part of the story? Because we see Christian and Claire together in what we thought was Jacob's cabin, and we don't seem to see the dark entity, you know, in, in two different bodies or as two different things at the same time. In other words, Locke uh, dropped Ben down into the pit. Then we saw Smokey come out. Then we saw Alex. Then we saw Locke. But we never saw any of those three things at the same time. And I'm wondering if somehow Jacob is more powerful and he can be both a dead Christian and a dead Claire and a dead Aaron. Thanks. Love the podcast. Can't wait until 2010. Hey, Ryan and Jen, this is Doug from New Jersey, long-time listener, second or third-time caller, uh, calling after the uh, season finale, the incident uh, from Lost. Fantastic. I thought it was a master stroke, really, having uh, Jacob in the very beginning and introducing us to uh, everything that Jacob's about. But um, one thing that I wanted to mention, uh, I'm not going to put any theories forward here, but I, I noticed the next day today on the uh, on the Internet uh, a lot of people were um, that are that are uh, Juliet haters <laughs> uh, that don't like her have mentioned uh, they're really happy that she was dead now and Ding Dong the witch is dead and all kinds of things like that. I saw. Um, got news for you guys. It's a it's a it's a it's a it's a bomb that she set off there. So if she's dead, so is Jack, so is Kate, and so is everybody else that was in the the proximity of that bomb. So. Uh, I'm pretty sure she's not going to be dead. So, anyway, uh, keep up the great work. See ya. Thanks for those calls. Well, Anthony has an alternate theory about who Adam and Eve are. That is so romantic. That it's uh, Faraday and uh, Charlotte. Charlotte. And I, I agree. You know, there is a possibility that Eloise knew about Charlotte's existence because of that encounter when right. she was young. And it is true that uh, Charlotte's body is left at a certain t- point in time, probably at that point in time, and then uh, Faraday goes back and forth and ends up there as well. Yeah. The only reason why I think that it has to be Rose and Bernard is because it's about they're about living in harmony. We don't care if we're dead. And the black and white stones, right. which were found in their pocket, I right. think. So that's, uh, to, to me, if there, if it's going to be anything, that's probably a good piece of evidence. That and their scene just seems so final. Right. Absolutely. Uh, John from Atlanta wants to talk about Christian Shepherd. So here's the deal with Christian Shepherd. Uh, is he inhabiting dead bodies? As I mentioned, the difference between the lock and the dark lock is that there are two of them and the body is there. But with Christian Shepherd. I think it's different because the coffin was empty. That was one of the big mysteries right. from season one. So is there something else going on with Christian Shepherd? Um, he's being inhabited by something. I'm, I'm sure of that. I don't think he's been walking around on the island the whole time. <laughs> well, I think um, we because we've seen Jacob bring Locke back to life, supposedly after he falls out of the out of the building, that uh-huh. maybe Christian Shepherd is Christian Shepherd brought back by Jacob. That could be one way oh, to look at it. And the yeah. other reason why is because we've been meeting characters like Roy. And so we see Roy. We see Christian, we see Jack, we see Aaron. So there's this whole lineage of people in the shepherd line that are tied to the island. So that could be 
what's going on with them in any case. But a lot of good thoughts about Smokey and everything. And finally, Doug from New Jersey says, here's the thing. Um, everybody's happy. I don't know who's happy that Juliet is dead. That's insane. I'm not. But in any case, it's true. And I think that's what they're leaving us with. If she was dead, then anybody in that pit's got to be dead. So the same fate should be awaiting all of them what do you think i think she sustained a pretty bad injury when she fell <laughs> well i think that despite the, the blast you know no matter what happened in the the final moments i think she was doomed well the thing the reason and we the the difference between her and the other characters in the proximity was like that she was yeah. not visited by jacob right so she might not get a she might not have gotten the willy wonka pass out of there <laughs> we've got calls now from dixon michelle and jesse Hello, Jen. Hello, Ryan. It's Dixon, again, from Nashville. I don't even know what to say. This episode was so phenomenal. Um, I will say that um, the teaser sequence, the opening of uh, part one, um, was so awesome and so mind-blowing, it would have been worth uh, the price of admission if that had been an entire episode for me. Just my sort of geek thermometer was at, at peak level. But here's what I'm calling. Um, we obviously have the two, uh, the, the two kind of, I don't know what they are. They're not brothers, but, uh, the, the dark guy that, and who's dressed in black and wants to kill Jacob, who's dressed in white. And, um, I thought over here in, in, uh, my lost viewing land is that the smoke monster is the, uh, is the, the evil guy, uh, indeed that wants to kill Jacob. And that is his, um, his form that he has to take, um, unless he is possessing uh, some dead human. And it's this sort of Lord Voldemort-esque kind of thing. Um, but I think it actually gives credence to the theories that were coming out all season about the smoke monster um, only killing people that couldn't further its own evil agenda. So um, I, when I heard those, I was like, yeah, I don't think that's right. But I think they might be right. I think that might be what's going on, and that somehow um, the sort of, meta evil manifestation that this guy is that wants to kill Jacob, um, who is, I'm assuming the meta good manifestation, I guess I don't know enough to draw that conclusion completely, um, sort of can't take human form unless he's possessing some dead body. And, uh, anyway, that's what we're thinking over here. I'm interested mostly in what you have to say about that. Um, lots else to say, but boy, what a, what a conclusion uh, to the season. Thanks for everything. Bye. Hey, Jen and Ryan. This is Michelle from Rockford, Illinois. I just had to call because my husband has come up with the uh, daddy-o of all crackpot theories. Uh, first of all, last night's episode was the best lost episode ever. My favorite part was when my husband literally fell off the bed in his excitement over being right about his crackpot theory that John Locke's body was in the silver box. Anyways, um, his new crackpot theory is a very interesting one. Eloise told Desmond, the island is not done with you. We believe that the reason Daniel told Desmond that he's special and that the rules don't apply to him is because Desmond's his half-brother, and Daniel knows the truth of Desmond's parentage. Eloise shows a special interest in Desmond's, she, uh, including going to the hospital when she saw his son, her grandson, for the first time. Um, you see her as the leader of the others, which means that she would have had the potential to visit with Jacob uh, and maybe in doing so conceived his heir, who is Desmond. Desmond is going to be the one to return to the island to take Jacob's place, defend his death, and set the world right again. 
So we are very excited. It's going to be a difficult nine months waiting to see the beginning of the next season, but we're thrilled. Um, and that's about it. And again, this is Michelle and Jess from Rockford, Illinois. Bye. Hey there, Ryan and Jen. It's Jesse again. And wow, I just got done watching the finale of Lost. Okay, so check it out. It's pretty obvious that the representation of Jacob and his friend, and I use that word very lightly, were clearly black and white, good, evil, right? That all harkens back to backgammon, right? Our favorite loss game. Now you're going to see why this is important to my theory. Flashback, Jacob going to go help little girl Kate out. He gives the guy some money so she can get the lunchbox. He goes back to Sawyer, gives him a pen so he can finish his letter. Goes back to Jack and helps him buy a candy bar, whatever the significance of that is. Needless to say, when Hurley gets out of jail, what are the three things he receives? He receives cash, a fruit roll-up, and a pen. Candy, cash, pen. Same things that uh, Jacob gave to these three people. So Hurley is in possession of the same things, the only things that Jacob gave away. Right? I don't know if that's symbolism or foreshadowing, but it's something important. When Jacob says to him, look, why do you think you're cursed? You're really important. You know, go back to the island. I'm not going to make you, but do what you think is right. He did the exact same thing to Ben at the end. And Ben, I think, uh, made the wrong choice based on, you know, not knowing. But Hurley, he goes back because he believes it's the right thing to do. I'm telling you now. Hurley is going to be the key to defeating Locke. He's going to be Jacob's guy. And to throw one last little bit of fuel on this theory fire, Locke has played backgammon all his life. And the one time we see Hurley playing it with Walt, Hurley says he's not too bad at the game himself, and that even though he placed 17th in a tournament he entered, he's getting exceedingly better at it and once beat a veteran player. To me, I believe this is proof that Hurley will be the counterbalance to whatever it is that took over John Locke's persona. And I cannot wait to hear your thoughts on this. So have at it, guys. Thanks again, Ryan and Jen. I'll listen. Mahalo for those calls. Well, Dixon's sharing more thoughts on the smoke monster and the theory that it is anti-Jacob when he's not you know, playing puppet master with somebody's body. But he says that, hey, so what has that smoke monster been doing when it's been visiting everybody from Locke to Mr. Echo? Was it not judging them as good or bad or repentant or not repentant, but instead just saying, hey, are you of use to my master plan here or are you useless to me? I think he's definitely judging because, I mean, he he passed some sort of thing on Mr. Echo. You know, he decided from Echo's memories that that he was not sorry for what he did or and that like he that. died shortly thereafter. I definitely feel a strong sense of weighing somebody's worth. I do feel that when we see anti-Jacob, though, at the start of the episode, that that's sort of what he does. He sort of says, here's humans, they're flawed, they make mistakes, so if that, there could be a way that it is judging and still is doing the same thing. The only other reason why I think that it's not just trying to see if you're a useful puppet is that I think Mr. Echo would have been an awesome person to keep he around have, yeah. if, you were, if you were judging on that basis. But he thought that this episode was great and was worth the price of admission just for that opening scene. And I'd probably have to agree. Yeah. We spent the most time talking about that. Michelle and Jeff from Rockford with their crazy theory that Desmond is Eloise's son. Oh, boy. A half-brother to Faraday. Wow. Well, but how? I mean, we have Faraday, who is Widmore, and Eloise's son. We have Penny, who is... Widmore's, Widmore's daughter, daughter by, by a, some unseen person. How would Desmond fit in? I mean, well, I like the the suggestion that uh, Eloise might have been impregnated by Jacob. 
that you know he's she's he's sort of the the son of a god kind of almost like a jesus character or some because remember albert says when she's pregnant or whatever says there well love is complicated can uh-huh. you imagine if that's why it's complicated she's that's pregnant a pretty with, big complication that it's her job to be the vessel of the child of their leader i don't know i think that's that i agree that that's a way out their theory but crazier things have happened and frankly if you're going to talk about mythological stories and stuff i think this that sort of thing happens all the time and henry and cusick does make a pretty good jesus i would agree <laughs> well we'll see if that's where they go with the story and finally jesse pointing out that backgammon it's all about backgammon uh-huh. and hurley is the key to the whole game he's our australia what do you think <laughs> games are all over this show risk connect four all kinds of games so i i can i can see that well the thing that he says that blew my mind was yeah, he gives, you're like, why does he give Jack a candy bar? Why is that important? He gets, he gives money to Kate. I mean, the three things that he gives to other characters, those are the three things that Hurley already had in his possession and has returned to him when he gets out of prison. That That's a heck of a connection to have made. I, I don't know what that means. I agree. I don't know that it could be significant, though. And Hurley. Wouldn't it be awesome if it's Hurley who is key to the entire story because he is the one who's been blessed with the numbers. I mean, we, we don't know what the numbers are, but if there's anybody whose lives have has cycled around the numbers, it's him. And everybody loves an underdog. Right. So, I, I, boy, I mean, can you imagine him being the force that has to vanquish the great evil anti-Jacob at the clim- climactic end of the entire series of Lost? I frankly would not be disappointed with that particular I'd love twist. to see that. So let's uh, all root for the great Hurley to say, us all. In any case, we love all of the calls in the Lost Line. We, of course, can include all of them. And as you can see, with us well past an hour and a half, this jumbo-sized episode of the transmission that we can include everything. But we listen to it all. We love it all. And uh, we just got to get to some of our blog comments and emails. We have over 380, almost 400 comments on our blog as we record this. So let's get to just a few of them. Uh, Stacy writes, I hate Damon Lindelof. Oh. I hate Carlton Cuse. How dare they give us this episode? Sit back and laugh at us that make us wait eight friggin' months <laughs> until the next episode to tell us what's going to happen next. P.S. Awesome episode. It may replace The Constant as my favorite, but I haven't decided yet since Desmond wasn't in this one. Very true. And I love Rosen Bernard's perspective on the whole thing. Gotta say, great uh, great comment there. Carol also writes, I really love this episode, and one of the main reasons is that nothing was predictable. There are so many shows where I feel that I could have written the script since I know exactly what will happen. I know now above anything else that Damon and Carlton have a firm plan in mind and all will make sense one day. So many pieces coming together. I have all the episodes from this season on TiVo and I'm going to watch them all again. So two very big thumbs up there on yes. the episode. We should get to, though, a lot of our commenters did help us figure out some of the things that needed translating in this episode. What lies in the shadow of the statue? Kyle in Delaware says, the one every person serves. John from Florida says, that which we will all serve. Mirapois from Montreal. It may mean the one who has saved us all but servo has other meanings like observe or take care of or look after the use of the direct compliment declension <laughs> makes me lean toward both saving but also towards the one who, who has been observing all so a lot of people had thoughts on sort of in similar sentences but clearly there's a couple of words in there that could change the meaning significantly um, latinlanguage.us which sounded to me like an authority on it actually uh-huh. wrote a blog post about this lost episode and that line and they're sure that the translation of who lies in the 
the statue of the shadow of the statue is he who will protect us all. In other words, someone who uh, preserves or saves somebody. Not save in terms of like Jesus saves, but just sort of giving somebody sanctuary. Right. So in any many, many ways, that could be, in fact, what we saw in this episode. Now, what about the weaving that Jacob was working on? What was written on that thing on the wall there? According to Stubble, the Greek is verse 6.180 of the Odyssey. May the gods grant thee all that thy heart desires. Also, when Ben and Fake Lot go to see Jacob, a fragment of Odyssey 24.402 is shown. Hail to thee and all welcome, and may the gods grant thee happiness. So I kind of like that. I mean, the Odyssey is not a short story, no. basically. And I think what they might be showing is sort of how long Jacob's been around because he has the time to basically write the Odyssey in a loom. <laughs> but uh, definitely some possibly significant uh, lines there, specifically that first one, you know, may the gods grant thee all that thy heart desires. And Alex from Greece, so he was would know, uh, says that the first one, he goes off on the first one, he says, the first Greek quote is spoken by Odysseus to Nausicaa when she discovers him and offers to help him. Odysseus's last stop before arriving back to his homeland, Ithaca, was Sherry Land, or Sherry Island, excuse me, the, where the Phoenician people used to live. He swims ashore on the island where, naked and exhausted, he hides in a pile of leaves and falls asleep. The next morning, he's awakened by the laughter of girls, and he sees the young Nausicaa, who has gone to the seashore with her maids to wash clothes close. He appeals to her for help and the quote at Jacob's place in the beginning of the episode is a quote taken from that exact part where he tries to appeal to Nausicaa for help. May the gods grant thee all thy heart desires. So, very cool stuff. You gotta love a show that can mention Stephen King in one episode and the Odyssey in another. Oh yes, and of course Empire Strikes Back. Of course. James from Los Angeles writes, This new meta story about Jacob and anti-Jacob is thrilling to me. Moral choices, free will, and perpetual time loops that don't change unless you transcend the system desmond pushing the button for love jack throwing the bomb down the hole extreme choices human choices i don't know where it'll go but taking the deep backstory to something higher than widmore and ben seems like the right move now lost was always a story that got bigger with each season but that stopped in the last two seasons when the ben versus widmore became the chess game and this seemed trivial to me i am happy that the producers have grounded our story in a larger context now with more profound implications absolutely it's getting bigger than us all. And similarly, Jennifer emails, the two words I've been using to describe the season finale are sheer brilliance. The creators are taking the show to a place I only hoped they would go. With all the sci-fi time travel elements of season five, the philosophical and religious undertones of the show have taken a back seat. But the finale brought it all back to the forefront by posing meaning of life and good versus evil questions and setting us up for a cosmic battle between light and darkness with men's souls on the line rather than a physical war between two mortals seeking power, money, and a control of a piece of land. Some fans have suggested that Lost is not the opposite of found, but is actually the opposite of won, as in a game. And maybe they are right. The Losties do now appear to be pawns in something much larger than themselves, something that's been going on long before their time, and something that makes overused words like purpose and destiny start to have meaning again. Rich in Cleveland writes, All hell is going to break loose. Words are never inconsequential on Lost. I haven't kept a running tally, but we must have heard at least 40 references to hell over the years. Anti-Jacob believes human nature has proven him right. Even Jacob's chosen candidates devolved into selfishness, corruption, and chaos. Jacob still sees progress and hopes that humans will eventually overcome their weaknesses and change one of the core variables that will permit redemption. Anti-Jacob says things will change once he's gone, I promise, because there will be no tension, no balance, only darkness. 
happiness. We have a choice. We can change things, but this is not the kind of change we had hoped to have delivered. I kind of like that. I mean, basically, what we see in this episode is that darkness has won, and that maybe the, the season six is kind of start us off on the Empire Strikes Back note that you know uh, Jacob's been vanquished. We're we're standing in the darkness. What do we do now? So, an interesting uh, perspective there. Mr. Z emails, After Jacob appears from beneath the shadow of the statue, Dark Jacob and Light Jacob appear to be viewing the welcoming of the Black Rock onto the island. Dark Jacob, dressed in a dark shirt, blames Light Jacob for bringing them and says, You're still trying to prove me wrong. This reminds me of a discussion between Magneto and Professor X. I guess that's X-Men. X-Men yeah. um, they fight about the capacities humans have to live. They come, they fight, they destroy, they corrupt. It always ends the same. So, yeah, I can see that we've sort of seen this yeah. conversation between gods before. Right. Well, it reminds me of Dogma, you know, the Kevin Smith movie with Ben Affleck and, and Matt <laughs> right. Damon, and they both play angels. And at the very end of the movie, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon have this argument about humans and, and why it, Matt Damon is on the side that we should kill all the humans because mm. they're bad and they, they've they destroyed this beautiful planet and they kill each other. Right. I mean, again, this is the X-Men or Dogma, which is a, another film I think people love or hate greatly. Right. Um, it, uh, we got a call from Richard from San Ramon who said that it reminded him of the Oracle and the architect from The Matrix. So oh, yeah. These are common themes and clearly very popular in science fiction. ACM in New York writes, the statue is definitely Sobek, the Egyptian crocodile god. The statue is at two a T, including the Ankh in its hand. And the key here, I believe, is the Bible story of Jacob and Esau, which mm-hmm. paralleled the Jacob and the man in black characters. I was swayed most of all by the promise of Esau to kill Jacob in the biblical story. The narrative also fits. The two nations, one always bettering the other to the each of the sides, which Widmore versus Ben, the looming apocalypse foreshadowed by Hawking, Widmore, and others to the Jacob and Esau battle at the end of days, with the Esau house utterly defeated and the possible parallel of Jacob's ladder. Interesting stuff and no doubt the deepest on television. Well, I got to agree with that. You're not going to see this in any other primetime shows, these kind no. of debates. Um, but John Fisher says that the ABC website recap insists that the statue is of Taurat, which is another, you know, figure, but that's the one that's really focused on um, uh, reproduction and fertility and, and childbirth, and childbirth. Yeah. so uh, maybe maybe the jury is still out on what the statue is but all of the ties to Jacob and Esau for whatever the reason is that I think is very key a lot of people have basically said and I think you said you're, I'm just going to call that uh, fellow in dark Esau so uh-huh. I can see that Ron St. Amant uh, Abon says Amon. that if it was something about the Oceanic 815 survivors arriving that was different perhaps it is that they seem to be the first people who have come to the island and not seemed as though they wished to possess it or use it for their own ends. The progress that Jacob talks about might be that the Oceanic 815 survivors have actually tried to use the island to confront the things about their lives that necessitated, perhaps in Jacob's eyes, coming to the island in the first place, to use the island's healing energies and challenges to better themselves. Well, that's kind of hopeful. That's a really nice way to think about it. Yeah. And I, I agree. You know, it looks like that a lot of these other people that Jacob have brought to the island have sought to possess it and control it. And, you know, it seems that Oceanic 815's arrival was almost accidental or fateful in right. some way. And we have said maybe way back when we were saying that the whole island was purgatory, that that's sort of the role of the island is to help them work that all out. So I think that's an interesting perspective. I also am beginning to wonder, a lot of people on the blog are trying to think, come up with a way that Jacob is actually not a good person. He might actually be a bad person. And certainly by bringing people to the island who have to go through this cycle and having a, a game played with them can in some ways not be a good thing for them. But in Possibly. any case, a great way to think about it. I want Desmond's hair rights on the blog. <laughs> I 
I'm in it for the long run, no matter what happens, but this episode really rubbed me the wrong way. Uh-oh. The way info is being spoon-fed to us takes away from the show. So many of the core aspects of the show are being lost, no pun intended. I watch Lost for the mystery, and sometimes less is more. I hope the writers realize the show is getting silly. For me, the end of season three was one of the most brilliant moments in TV because of the way the scene was handled. I just hope season six feels more like the Lost I have grown to love. Well, so someone who wasn't a big fan of the the episode, and I can see that, again, if you were really invested in some of the more basic mysteries of the island, when you start talking about Egyptian gods and battles between good and evil, uh, kind of like a a, a Stephen King The Stand kind of development— that could that could rub you the wrong way. But is he hopeful that uh, season six is going to be more like season one? I think that's a possibility as well. I think we could be seeing that. Because, you know, season two and season five clearly were both kind of disorienting seasons. Yeah. And I think they're going to show us that the anchors of the show are hopefully the first and last seasons. I mean, we're going to have to put our faith in Damon and Carlton again <laughs> that they know what they're doing. Danny writes on the blog, I am having a hard time suspending disbelief on the fact that a bomb rigged to detonate impact by Saeed can fall hundreds of feet and not explode, but bang a little rock against it and pow! I know they had to make Juliet's death heroic, but there could have been a better way to do it. I'm just glad that we didn't have to see her ripped in half, which is what I thought was going to happen with the chains. To me, she was the strongest female character in one of the strongest characters, period, and I'm sad to see her go. Well, we don't really know what happened with a bomb. I mean, the bomb could have gone off or they could have flashed, or a number of things could have happened. Well, the thing about Saeed, though, and we discussed that, what are they saying? Either he's really that incompetent with rigging things, or maybe he was actually trying to sabotage Jack's mission at the last minute. That makes it more interesting. But in any case, I agree that Juliet's character is one of the strongest on the show and one of my top two actors on the show. Absolutely. And what I think is key is that they weren't in the show from the beginning. So if there's anything that Lost does that's brilliant is that they're not afraid to give us an ensemble show and give us new characters that could somehow and sometimes be even more powerful. I certainly hope we see more of her. Mama Pax writes, I think you are a little hard on Juliet. She knew how Sawyer felt about Kate as he had shared those feelings with her. I think her own insecurities from her previous marriage and all her manipulation by Ben contributed her huge insecurities and her personal belief that Sawyer could never love her as much as he loved Kate. She says she knows he would never leave her and she loves him for it and that implies that she's willing to let him go so that he can pursue Kate. Why the heck is Sawyer always looking at Kate? Just maybe what Juliet perceives as the truth is the truth until unfortunately like so many of us Sawyer didn't realize what he had until he lost it and you know we if you go back to season one and season two when we were arguing about Jack versus Sawyer with Kate I can see that if especially if you were invested in the potential romance between those two characters if you were a skater Uh then this is the right way for the story to go I just think that I had really unfortunately become a fork you know a Juliet or a Burke a fork a Ford and Burke um, relationship person and I thought that there were relationship was strong that that's what they were showing us with their three years together in domestic harmony so yeah it was I hard for too. me to let that go but i guess for the sake of the story i'd be willing to say that uh, there could be something there that sawyer never got over kate and that juliet being the mature person that she is was kind of willing to let him go i just don't know i i'm not necessarily hard on juliet though i think again it's more what happened to her character right and that we had to see her storm off from her parents divorce and then try to break up with sawyer i just thought that was a little weird 
Bill comments on the blog, People keep mentioning that Juliet set off the bomb. What makes you think that the bomb went off? If this is the device that Dharma builds the Chernobyl concrete wall around. The white at the end, I believe, was the flash moving them forward in time. Jacob says, They are coming, which I think is the Losties coming back to the present. When Jacob dies, it pulls the Losties back to the future. That event occurred just as Juliet was banging the bomb. Plus, if the bomb did go off, then you would have two options. No change in time, and all of them are dead and from the explosion. Or two, they change the future the plane doesn't crash and they all get off which equals no show so what do you think the bomb didn't go off i think we basically were saying that could be what it was well if the bomb doesn't go off and it is a flash what made the flash happen i thought we were done with the donkey wheel right well but you're 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 dealing with great magnetic powers you're dealing with gods having a battle and jacob does sort of fall into the fire which fire seems to be a really permanent way to dispose of or to end things here so that there could just i don't know how you can have a coincidence in time when you're along a single timeline, but in any case, that's where the headache comes from. Um, but uh, Moira on the blog says that in the last Lost official podcast, they were invited. Uh-huh. They were talking to Michael Emerson, and he basically reads the line from the script. He says that the script says hydrogen bomb goes off. So. I think we can that's say, definitive. and certainly if they're showing her pounding on it with a rock and then the big flash, that's what they're trying to tell us happened. Yeah. So I think the real debate is still, though, what happens when that bomb went off. Mark in Vienna writes, many people were concerned about the origin and final disposition of the compass. To me, the compass was trivial. More important was the origin of the idea that Locke must die to get all the others to return to the island. It would appear that Richard Alpert told this to Locke, who told Richard, who told, now it's clear that Jacob's enemy impersonating Locke told Richard to tell this to Locke and there it ends. Well, which we discussed. I thought that was great. Before I thought, you know, we've got this paradox both with the with the compass itself and with the idea that this compass needs to be passed, but they've broken that. They've right. said this is part of the plan to get Locke's body. So great thoughts there. Um, Yan from France writes, Pierre Chang did not lose his arm. Miles removed the hand from the beam before it got crushed. So time has changed. We know that time can be changed. I mean, Desmond did not know that he had to meet Daniel's mother before he was told so by a time-traveling Daniel. So everything will change for everyone, except for Desmond, who will know that everything has changed. So this is someone who thinks that the Flash does do, to some extent, what Jack wants it to do to sort of reset everything because he feels that that injury that uh, Pierre Chang suffered is not as severe as the one he actually had. I don't know. I saw blood and it looked pretty bad to me yeah i think that that could still end to an amp- end with an amputation for him and you know the the whatever happened happened really seems to be what the point was despite uh you know faraday's attempt to change that i think really that's kind of the point the conclusion of season five but it's an interesting thought that uh, for whatever reason i do like anybody who says that desmond is key because again there wasn't enough desmond here for this story to resolve oh right and i think he has to be special and for him to have a unique memory of what happened on the island even though everybody else might forget that could be an interesting way to go as well Stubble writes, there are three hints showing that Christian Shepherd is real. The tennis shoes, the fact that Jack opened his coffin and he was missing, unlike Locke, who was indeed in the coffin, and the fact that he tried to get the 06 back, which was also what Jacob wanted, as his visit to Hurley showed. Christian never interacted with a fake Locke post-316. He only interacted with the real Locke, and he was indeed speaking on Jacob's behalf. Christian's shoes that Ray gave to Jack will be the clue that Jack will need to recognize the real dead Locke 
from the fake one walking on the island. I really loved this comment. I mean, it kind of made my brain pop and it makes me want to watch the last five or six episodes of season five because the shoes, you know, I had discussed that, uh, you know, Christian Shepard's body was missing from the coffin. So that's different than what happened to Locke. So there you got that. But yes, you may have two different locks, only one of which is the one that is the correct one because of the whole shoe thing. That could be key. Yeah. It just blows my mind. I like that a lot. And uh, the the fact that uh, he was acting on behalf of Jacob because Jacob wanted to get them all back to the island, I think that's a good way to look at that too. So yeah. a number of excellent thoughts that uh, will really make give you something to think about if you rewatch season five. Eva from Estonia, wow, writes, about Rose and Bernard being Adam and Eve, do bodies really decompose into skeletons in just 30 years? I couldn't find anything about that exact time it would take human bodies to decompose in a cool, dry place like that cave. And if our losties did flash into the future or past, I suspect Rose and Bernard flashed with them. So what do you think? I definitely think they flashed along with the rest of the island. When this jughead goes off, that whatever happens to Sawyer, Kate, Jack, Juliet, and maybe uh, Juliet um, happens to them. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I think that because they weren't visited by Jacob, that they might be in the same exclusionary category that Juliet might be Well, how be do in. we know they weren't visited by Jacob? That's true. There's more openings to that. Um, the thing about the decomposing body, that's true, because I think when Jack sees them in season one... He, he says, says 50 years. Yeah, an enormous period of time, not 30 years that we're dealing with, but one, it is the island, and what does time mean on the island? And two, you know, maybe they went into the cave to, to seek shelter because they heard about Jack's plan with the bomb. They figured uh-huh. we're going to meet our end together here in this nice cave, and the bomb has that effect on their body it adds a little bit more decay when it goes off and three damn it jim jack is a surgeon not a forensic anthropologist (laughs) exactly what does he know about finding (laughs) bones so a number of good arguments there we are closing in on our two-hour episode of the transmission so we'll have one more comment from chuck he emails and says hey in the scene where they're removing the core from jughead richard alpert expresses his concern to eloise that when they originally brought jughead down below it was emitting radiation saying you're pregnant to which eloise replies which is exactly why we have to see this through to me, her comment implies that the pregnancy problems already exist on the island well before the incident. Further evidence of this is that the statue appears to be Towered, as we discussed, right. which was the Egyptian deity of protection in childbirth. Therefore, it appears to me that the pregnancy problems have been around on the island for a long, long time and were not caused by the incident, as some has theorized. What do you think? There you go. I, I agree with that because, we again, they said even when there were happily living in Othersville or in Dharma times in the 70s that, that women left the island to have babies, and that also might have been related to to that issue. So right. We shall see. In any case, our Faraday timer is counting down, so we'll have to say that this is it for this last segment of You All, Everybody. And folks, we love You All, Everybody. Yes, we absolutely love every comment. They're up to, like we said, almost 400 comments. They're, and trying, to they're to trying to get to 500. I know, so watch out. There's a lot of good stuff, though. Really, really great folks. And uh, so we appreciate all the feedback that we've gotten. And we're going to say it until you get mad at us. It is you that make making the transmission worthwhile. Absolutely. So, boy, what are we going to do from here? Well, we're going to head into the forward cabin where mm-hmm. we normally hide filming, production news, rumors, and spoilers. But since we don't have any of that, we're just going to talk about what we plan on doing over the summer. All right, so don't skip ahead.
Welcome to the forward cabin, the forward-looking part of the transmission. And I got to say, looking forward, it seems a little dark, but don't <laughs> despair. There is stuff in the future. Now, as we've mentioned, uh, we're just sort of the old fuddy-duddies of the Lost Podcasting space, and we're going to take a brief break. We need to we rest. We need to rest. And we encourage you to as well. You can rewatch episodes, pick up some of the books, but get out, get some sun. I think Go uh, to the beach. Yeah, we're going to the beach, if you can get to a beach. In any case, we're going to take a little break, but uh, you know, there's more stuff that we can do. We do want to stay connected with everybody and the rest of the Lost Podcasting community and we definitely are collaborating with Heath from the Lost Revisited podcast. Right, so anybody, any of the other Lost Podcasters who throw a party, we're going to be happy to attend if we get an invite. I don't know if they're that <laughs> cool, but uh, so we're not going to necessarily disappear from that space and as I mentioned briefly earlier, we're thinking about maybe doing a listener special in the sense that we're happy to maybe do a podcast if we don't have to do altogether that much work. So I'm kind of thinking of doing just a show that focuses on you and your thoughts and it's really kind of going to be sort of a season five in review show or conversation that we'd like to have so talk about what you liked about season five what uh, you didn't uh, your favorite moments and as we had in the, the you all everybody what are some of the questions that you look forward to in season six so what i'm going to do is i'm going to open a thread on uh, the blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost and it's going to be a season five sort of open thread and you can just go in there and have at it um, whether that becomes another podcast during the hiatus or not i'm not sure it really depends on you but even if it doesn't like i said it's having the conversation that we find really valuable if you do want to express your thoughts with your voice we are switching telephone numbers um, yes a can... brand new lost line that we're at least going to be trying out to get ready for comic-con and season six so we're going to change the number in part i gotta say because this number helps us transcribe what you say so in any case if you want to Chime in on Season 5 and use your voice. Here's how you do that. Call us at 202-684-6084. That's right, 202-684-6084. And whether it's for the listener special or just because you want to share your favorite rhubarb pie recipe for the summer, frankly, we'd love to hear from you. Whatever you're willing to share, we'd love to have it. One thing is for sure, though, we're absolutely psyched about Comic-Con coming wait. in July. I mean, it sounds like there's going to be some big stuff coming up. Damon and Carlton says they have a lot of stuff planned that they are excited about. And since it is the final season, I'm expecting something really big. Yeah, they're saying it's their last Comic-Con, as we suspected. So we are very thrilled to go. And we are going to share everything we can from San Diego. I'm not sure if you listened to our reports last year. It was sort of a mix between a, wow, kind of this is what our experiences are like. This is San Diego. We love San Diego. And there was a lot of lost content i'm not sure if you want the stuff that's outside of lost but really it's an exciting trip and we'd like to have our friends come with us and if you're there we'd like to meet up with you absolutely we'll give you um, an update later on maybe in the blog or during the season five podcast about how to get in touch with us if you are in san diego yeah we'll uh, put out my phone number again you can of course follow us on twitter i'm hawaii jen is kilinahe k-i-l I-N-A-H-E, just, you know, whatever, you if you need to catch your own uh, Black Rock ship to San Diego, then go ahead and do it, because I think it's going to be a great time. And then, again, after a short break, what are we going to do? After Comic-Con, we plan on digging out our Season 3 DVDs, re-watching them, and giving you our thoughts on them. Yeah, we're going to do the same thing that we did during the last hiatus with Season 2, and we're going to take it episode by episode. Who knows if we're going to finish it, but as we've we've learned today of all days, re-watching episodes after 
after some time to think about it kind of make you enjoy them more. Yes. So having that perspective on season three will be great. So that's our plans for the next few months. We hope you have some fantastic plans as well. But that means that's it for this season five finale episode of The Transmission. Remember, The Transmission is powered by you. So if you have thoughts on season five as a whole, favorite moments, characters, plot twists, recipes you want to share, <laughs> feel free and call us at 202-684-6084. Email us at lost at hawaiiup.com or comment on the blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost. All right, folks. Good golly. That was quite a ride. A fantastic season. And once again, we'll miss you all during the break. You enjoy it. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for making the transmission so rewarding. Take care, everybody. Stay Stay lost. lost. Aloha. Aloha. This podcast is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com.